Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do, 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 do. It's an Olympics-themed, not really, completely unnecessary podcast for... Tuesday, August 16th, 2016, one episode away from the three-year anniversary. Can you believe that? Alongside Egan Ferguson. Howdy. I'm Pat Contry. Oh, we got lots of fun stuff for you on this slightly shorter, maybe, CU podcast. No Man's Sky. Ian's going to come through with his review there. Nintendo taking down Nintendo power issues from archive.org. Pokemon Go, of course. We're we talking about uh, uh, maybe a scumbag seller of the week, Maybe. Uh, some Warner Brothers superhero news. We can't go one <laughs> month without it. No, we can't. And your Q and A. But first, we have uh, some sponsors for the podcast. You know, you guys heard me talk about Loot Crate before. They're the ones who send you collectibles, apparel, and more right to your door every single month. We're talking a new T-shirt in every crate, figures, comics. What else, Ian? Sometimes they have game codes thrown in there. Little blind box figurines or blind bag stuff, which is always cool. Very happening right now. You get a mug every now and then, get a little hat, you know. Pins? Did you mention pins? You get your I, pin every I, month. I freaking love pins, so that's pretty cool. And it's it's from Marvel, DC, Star Wars, everything. Uh, I remember there was a Pikachu hat a while back, some months back. It's for 20 bucks or, or less a month, depending upon your uh, your subscription fee. Uh, and, for to- and for August, we're talking about anti-heroes. Bad guys doing good things. We love them. Some people think Ian's an anti-hero on, on, online. I'm wearing my he's, favorite anti-hero is Judge today. Judge technically an anti-hero? And Judge Judge is definitely an anti-hero. <laughs> so, there's that. And there's also uh, Loot Gaming. You can also try Loot Gaming as well. And August is going to be uh, Man vs. Machine with Mecha. Oh, Ooh. He, uh-oh. Ian might... I want that Ian one. Ian <laughs> might be getting the, our, our Loot crate for the month there. Um, so, you're going to have there uh, a bunch of cool stuff. Um, exclusive items from Deus Ex Mankind Divide is going to be in there. Bioshock, Destiny, Lawbreakers, and Borderlands. So you got two you can choose from anti heroes. You got Mecha for the loot gaming. Uh, go to lootcrate.com slash pat. Enter code pat to save 10% off any new subscription to any loot crate, including Lootware, which is their add on where you get some uh, apparel thrown in on top. You have until the 19th of August, uh, which is wow, that's close. At 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive uh, this month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. So go to lootcrate.com slash pat and enter code pat to save 10% off any new subscription. Loot Crate or even Loot Gaming. Pat, pat, pat. There's a lot of pats in that sentence, it felt like. More pats the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. And we have Arcade Works, the makers of the Omega Entertainment Machine. Hands down, the best way to play Neo Geo arcade games from the comfort of your own couch. Hands down. 
<laughs> Sporting a design inspired by the legendary home system, the Omega utilizes the low-cost MVS format to finally put Neo Geo Gaming within financial reach. Each Omega ships the latest Unibios and the optional virtual memory card upgrade lets players save their progress and high scores, so get yours today at arcadeworks.net. Use coupon code OMEGA NOW for $10 off the purchase of an Omega Entertainment Machine. Thanks, Arcade Work. It's very important to save your progress, you know, those long sessions of Super Spy. Um, it's very important to be able to save those gameplay sessions. You're being silly. For a person like me who is all about the high score, it's incredibly important to be able to save that. How else am I going to brag to my cat that I did really, really well that day on uh, Duke? Pulsar. Duke is falling down. Yeah, he does, he's drunk. He, well, he doesn't like people standing behind you. That's his expression. Don't stand behind him if you value your life. This will slap it off. All right. Bitch. Uh, and also, oh, we also have that survey. If you guys want to take it, great responses about the podcast. It's at cupodcastsurvey.com. Uh, it's just a short survey about who you are, what you're listening to, other podcasts. If you want us to discuss any type of products, uh, you know, let us know there. And uh, you don't have to give your email, but if you do, you'll have a chance to win a digital copy of Ultimate Nintendo Guide to the NES Library coming very, very soon. It's going to start shipping out to Kickstarter backers next week, God willing. So go to cupodcastsurvey.com and tell us about yourself. You know, it's the pretend get a cup of tea and take the quick survey. I was going to say, slip into a robe, grab yourself a drink, and, you know, chat with us <laughs> at the computer screen. Sure. Relax. Have some undergarments on, though. That would make it more comfortable. Really? Whatever. Uh, so, Ian, uh, you celebrated a birthday. Yeah. Yeah, I turned 34. It was unexciting. Um, I don't even really remember what I did. And, unfortunately... I tried to call you to see what you're doing. You're like, yeah, we're just eating tacos somewhere. Yeah, I mean, as I get older, it's not even like I don't remember what I don't. Even, I don't it's not that I don't remember what I did because I partied hard. I just don't remember what I did because it was an incredibly unexceptional day. <laughs> um, uh, well, that's like most of my my life, but my but, birthday especially. But it was, you know, it we was. We gotta treat ourselves though every now and then. I have been having such a tough time relaxing, whether it's on vacation, on my day off. Couldn't do it, but um, it was a good two days off. My friends, you know. Uh, wished me happy birthday. I uh, hung out with and a couple me. friends. Yeah, you count as a friend. Wow. Uh, people uh, hung out with me a little bit the day after. Um, Bonnie bought my backlog of comics for me. She got me this Judge Dredd shirt. And in a funny story, she bought me a new pillow because she wanted me to stop tossing and turning. She bought me a really nice like memory foam pillow. You like that? I love it. Okay. So, but she didn't want to be left out of the the, 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 the pillow fun. fun and games. So she got herself one. And she was actually using it the night before my birthday to test it out. Well, she, I get it. And I'm like, well, did you get yourself one? Because I don't want to be the only person with a fancy pillow. And she's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, have you tried it yet? And she's like, oh, yeah, I hid it from you last night. I was using it the night before. And I'm like, oh. <gasps> like, I broke a gift rule. <laughs> so anyways, I think it's last night or the night before. She looks at me kind of sheepishly and she's like, do you like your pillow? And I'm like, yeah, I love it. And she's like, are you being serious? I'm like, yeah, no, really. I think it's super freaking comfortable. The way I sleep, I usually always have like an arm underneath it. So it's like very comfortable. Like when I'm laying on it, arm underneath your pillow. Yeah. But like, I, I squish it in too. Like it's just, it's comfortable. And I'm like, what about you? And she's like, I hate it. (laughs) Memory, memory foam is love or hate. 
I know some people love the, the memory foam mattress. I don't like it. I don't think I could handle a memory foam mattress, but the pillow is nice, and it's this weird kind of pillow. This is how you know we're getting old, because we're discussing this like enthusiastically. Yeah, it stays cool. It doesn't get hot. It doesn't. The pillow okay, does not get good. hot. I don't have to like flip it around. They, they sell the super cool pillows. I was in Costco yesterday. They that's sell what the this super is. Cool pillows. That's what this is. It okay. doesn't get hot, that, and that's see, my that's, favorite thing. That's it. Yeah, flipping them over every twenty minutes, and oh yeah. god, nope, it's nothing worse than a sweaty hot pillow. No, it's it could always, be the worst thing in the world. It's always like as cool as a cucumber. It's so nice. All so, right, well, I'm not looking just for that. I, I felt bad for her because she bought one for herself. She's like, oh. I can't stand it, Did and I'm like, it? I love it. I don't, I don't know what she's doing. Like, I'll buy it used. So you know, put it on eBay, scalp it. So Olympics, I haven't been watching them. I work. The last time I enjoyed the Olympics at all is when they were in Beijing. Um, my ex girlfriend and I, uh, you know, that was what two thousand and eight. Be- yeah, that's when they cheated. Um, so they had the ten year olds in gymnastics. Style. Yeah. And I mean, I watched some of it. I, it was uh, a weird time in my life. It got my mind off things. It was kind of fun to watch. But I generally, I mean, the Olympics come and go in a blink of an eye for me. And by the time I'm like, oh, I kind of like watching the gymnastics or the, the diving, I, it's over. It's done. Well, gymnastics gymnastics actually lasts like a week. Right. That's actually one of the longer ones. Sure. Um, beach volleyball lasts. Like, any, any sport where it's like a tournament will obviously last like a week. Okay, uh, but I, I love I I get so amped for the female gymnastics, like you that to me that and swimming, anyone fe- male female swimming events, uh, which are usually the first like five five days or so six days. Uh, Phelps is Phelps Michael Phelps is not just inhuman in terms of his body how he broke a two thousand year old Olympics record, so he broke the record for most uh, gold medals in individual event with ten. Which never had been done before. Back Leonidas of Rhodes, you remember him? So back in like 150 BC, there's this guy named Leonidas from Rhodes, and Rhodes is a very small part of Greece. So that's it's it's like having our best athlete come out of like New Hampshire, basically. Okay. As comparison, it's not likely. So he was a guy that competed in three Olympics, did three events each, and and got they didn't give out medals, and they gave out a wreath for first place. He did a sprint. Uh, he did a, a longer run, and he did a, uh, this event, which actually sounds cool. They should do it today, where you ran in, in full armor. Uh, so he he won all three of those three Olympics in a row. So that's over eight years, and so that record had been broken for had been broken for two thousand years. I just think that's really cool. That is pretty cool. Obviously, with swimming, there's a lot more chances. There's a lot. There's four different types of swims, and there's different lengths of it. So, but that's an incredible record. That I love. I love knowledge like that. Yeah. Obviously, it's funny. I read an article like, "Wow, there's no pictures of him." Well, you think that we'd have cannons back then, but there wasn't even any pictures like drawn of the guy back then. Huh. So, but he's worshipped. He was worshipped in, in Rhodes as you know a celebrity. But I love the Olympics. I get very patriotic for it. We are cleaning up this Olympics with, with the medals. We are like so far ahead of second place, which I think could be Great Britain or, or China. Um, and we're, we're we're doing well. And you know the, the gymnastics team is great. Uh, Simone Biles and everyone else, uh, Amy Rasmin, and everyone's going off on Gabby Douglas for not being patriotic patriotic enough, which is kind of weird. But anyway, that's what's been going on this Olympics. Uh, other than that, Ian doesn't want to talk about Olympics anymore. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be at the Game On Expo. Uh, actually, no, I was just at the Game You're On just Expo. There, I was just there. You were just there. It was so hot in Arizona. It was so freaking hot. Um, and it, it was great seeing our pals Billy and Jay. I'll just say this: uh, Jay, Jay, Jay sees me buying print shirts. There's a cool vendor there had print shirts for six bucks each. 
including this nice G.I. Joe one, Jay comes up to me and like shakes his head and he's like, guys in your 30s should not be wearing print shirts. And there's Jay wearing his like, you know, just regular solid color tee. And I didn't say it's anything. Usually blue. It, it's usually blue. It's usually a shade of blue. That you are you are right. I didn't say anything, but is, is, should there be an age where you stop wearing like cool T-shirts? That you, I mean, why is there should be embarrassed that we're wearing like cartoon or animated characters on a shirt? I I just don't care. You just don't care to discuss it, or you don't think there should be a, an age that we stop? Oh, I just stopped caring. In general, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I just stopped caring. Oh, thanks, Ian. No, I, I, not about you. Oh. I just I just mean in general. So, I mean... You stop caring about people thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. I love Jay dearly, but I mean... I, I'll, I'm going to wear print shirts probably the rest of my life because uh, I have no fashion sense and I'm not going to... Oh, okay. I'm, I'm never going to learn it. Uh, I saw Al Lowe from uh, Leaders to Larry fame uh, twice in the same eatery. I, I, twice I was going to go up to him. I shook his hand one time outside while I was eating. I didn't want to bother him. So uh, I had someone give me a digital copy of the book uh, there, which who knows if he'll, he'll read it. Uh, but he said, yeah, no more Leisure Suit Larry's on the way. And Codemasters apparently owns the, the IP, which is really fucking strange to think how Codemasters got it and or why, what they're doing with it. Leisure Suit Larry Rally Racing. Yeah. Their version of Micro Machines Racer. Uh, so that's what's going on. The book's available at UltimateNES.com. It starts shipping out next week to North America. Hopefully. New Ass Frank is on the way. New Path the is Punk. I have to edit it when I have time, but I am going to edit it. Um, I'm going to be at the SoCal Retro Gaming Expo August 2021st and a Video Game Con September 10th to 11th in New Jersey. That's what's going on in my life. But the big news, Ian, it's the biggest game maybe of the millennium. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm supposed to be excited about this. No Man's Sky on PS4 and now on the PC. All right, so I'm going to hit the start on the stopwatch, and I'm going to try to keep myself to a reasonable word limit here, because i got a lot of things to say about it. Here we go. For those of you who don't know what No Man's Sky is, and that's not many of you, I will give you a quick brief rundown of what No Man's Sky is. No Man's Sky is... It's a video game, right? It's a video game. It is uh, (laughs) roughly a space simulator. Um, It's kind of a throwback to an old style of game. It's space exploration, okay? Uh, you can fly around to different planets and different star systems. Um, you can uh, go touch down the planet surfaces, harvest for minerals. Um, well, that's what's unique to me about it. You can go on the planet. You can, act, it, right. Instead of, instead of like the older, older games where you send down like a mining droid or something and it just tells you what you've collected or what the atmosphere is, you actually go down uh, to the planet Um you can interact with, uh, so far, I think, and I think there's only three, but I, is, I've played probably 25, 30 hours, and I'll get to why I only know so much about the game in a minute. Um, I'm interacting with three different alien species. Um, there's space combat. Um, there's, there's, there's war. You can attack warships. You can attack small ships. You can defend warships. Um and there is a main storyline thread about this red being, almost like a godlike being, called the Atlas that you can kind of follow to the center of the uh, center of the universe, which is kind of the main storyline thread. But there's also a number of other storyline threads you can follow, finding out the there's history. There's three main ones you can do? Well, there's three main alien races, but there's kind of this... Well, there's fine, four, four alien races. 
three that I know of at okay. the moment. Um, and then there's uh, kind of this main storyline thread, which is finding the center of the galaxy. But the main appeal of the game is exploration. There are definite things to do, but there isn't a lot. Um, the game was kind of billed as an exploration game. Uh, in the trailers that you saw early on, uh, it shows a character from a first-person perspective. You don't create a character. You don't pick your gender. You don't do anything. It's just first-person dumps you in. It shows people. It shows the character walking around, uh, scanning life forms. Uh, you basically create an encyclopedia of all the life forms that you encounter. You create an encyclopedia of all the plant that you, uh, all the plants that you encounter. You name all your uh, planets. You name all of your moons. You name your star systems. You name everything that you encounter, in the hopes that someday someone else lands in your star system and sees all these things that you've done. Um, when you're on planets, you can find waypoints to transmissions that so show crashed ships. You can salvage the ships. Some ships will have more storage than others. The game is at the heart of it a survival game in that each system that you touch down on is procedurally generated. It's going to look a little bit different. Well, that's the main draw of the game. It's the main draw. There's literally a multiple quintillion planets. 18 quintillion different planets that are generated in this... It's a shared universe with other players. And... Sure, there's 18 quintillion planets. And 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 I should say that there's actually, right now, an IP dispute or uh, using the super formula for this generation, procedure generation. Sure. Um, when you touch down, planets have different levels of toxicity. Uh, they can be extra cold. They can be super hot. They can have radioactive rain. Um, uh, things along those lines. This means that you can take shelter in caves during storms to avoid uh, the radioactive rain. And what the game boils down to is initially you kind of have this urge to explore and find stuff. Uh, you want to uh, find um, hard-to-find uh, chemicals like uh, or isotopes like carbon. Uh, you want to find uh, you know, aluminum, gold. You want to find all these different things that you can harvest, all these, these compounds. So you can craft things? You can craft things. You also use them to keep your life support systems in, 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 uh, in, in check, in order. Okay. Uh, so let's say... Uh, Life support, um, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, life support requires carbon. Your mining beam, which you use to shoot at different plants or different uh, uh, rock structures to get different minerals and elements, uh, you harvest them using a beam. You need to recharge your beam. Um, you use these things to power your boost jets on your, your spaceship and things like that. You have a very limited inventory uh, management, so management's a very important thing. So inventory management is constant. Um, At various times, you're going to be like, well, carbon's very easy to harvest, so I'm going to dump this carbon so that I can keep this harder-to-find element like Mm -hmm. uh, aluminum you know, in here, or copper, which you don't see very often. I'm going to keep this in here. And and you spend a lot of time initially... To start the game, it dumps you on a planet, and 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 your starship is broken down. And it throws you this kind of slapdash um, tutorial as to how to repair your ship. Teaches you some basic crafting, some basic mineral and element harvesting, shows you how to use the crafting, shows you how to repair the ship, shows you how to get off the planet, 
get into space and, start. and land on another planet. Okay. Um, what's problematic is, is if you start off the game on a hostile planet like I did, where the sentry drones... Now, every planet has these like sentry drones which kind of go around and just kind of monitor things. And some of them don't take too kindly to alien life forms harvesting their, their minerals. Okay. Uh, so if they see you harvesting precious minerals, they will attack you. And you have to use your mining beam... Uh, retrofitted with like a what's called a bolt cutter to shoot them down before they call another sentry. If you start off on a, a hostile planet, it can be kind of tough to get off that planet. But once you do, you realize one of the first things that kind of impresses about the game, and it's the very seamless transition from planet surface to ship to outer space to I see a planet to mm-hmm. hyperdrive to entering atmosphere to landing, to getting out, to running around. So no load screens? No load screens, no nothing. I mean, it, it's it's gorgeous. I mean, you'll see the planet kind of loading as you're, like, flying in, but there's yeah, no there's, there's no freezing. The pop-in is like pixelation. I've seen the videos yeah, that work. Yeah, like it pixelates. doesn't, like, stop now loading X planet, yeah. done. It's, it's, it's very seamless. The issue is um, the game doesn't hold your hand. Now, a lot of people don't like a lot of the hand-holding that goes on in modern games, but No Man's Sky, uh, the first strike against it is that it doesn't have really any hand-holding above, or above and beyond what it teaches you at first. Um, people don't necessarily realize certain things like uh, when you get into a space fight, how to regenerate your shield. Uh, I died in my first two space fights horribly because my shields were completely obliterated and I got shot down. When you get shot down, it leaves a little grave marker, or if you die on a planet, it leaves a grave marker, and you've got to make it back there to get your inventory back. And uh, it's only in my like third or fourth space fight that a little window pops up and it says, open your inventory and click on your deflector so shield. There's no instructions for, that tell you this There, thing? There is, but like, it's just it's just so... We live in... like I don't like games that are overly hand-holding, like, go do this, go do that. But you expect a little bit more, I think, from a game. When you get into a space fight and it's your first space fight, you might expect them to be like, hey, to recharge your shield, just press this button and maybe click on this thing. Oh, <laughs> you know, I'm, just I'm used to, to that. playing Privateer and well, swing where no, you read the manual. And so am I. Yeah. So I get, I get used to this. Yeah. But these are the things that people are kind of complaining about. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of direction in Pe- the game. Trying, trying to find if you missed out on the warp drive I saw about having to backtrack and stuff like that. Yeah, there's, there, the, the game is, is, is less than clear. This is a totally different experience. Yes, but versus most games. To a person who played certain types of games back in the day, it's not an unfamiliar game. It's very much a throwback. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's let's switch gears here. Um, at various points in time, uh, I very much love No Man's Sky. And I am peppered with points of... Well, what do you like about it? What do you enjoy the most? It's very peaceful. To explore? I, I find it very peaceful to explore. Are you impressed with the different types of planets, different types of creatures that are procedurally generated, things like that? To the degree that I can be, because... There was a huge hype train for this game, right? Okay. Gigantic. This was like... Gigantic. PS4, they, you gotta get PS4 they, to get this game. They like, oh. placed... And I wish I was wording this better, but they placed an entire generation's weight on this game's shoulders. And I think it was unfair. Because I don't believe when you that... you say they, who? 
I, I believe gamers, magazines, media hyped this game beyond what Hello Games themselves actually promised out of this game. Yeah. I don't believe we got less than what Hello Games promised out of this game. I love the empty void of space in this game. I love how lonely this game feels. Um, I love the exploration. Once, here's what happened. I started this game, right? And I kept jumping from planet to planet. Never exploring. Never uh, starting radio towers. Never shooting for beacons. Never trying to find crash-landed ships. Never trying to find outposts or intelligent life that was on the planets. Just jumped around. Tried to find the next story point. And then what happened was, is I found a star system with five planets and a moon. And a really fucking shitty space station that was not offering me good prices on anything. But I didn't give a shit. Damn resellers. And you know what happened? Hmm. That was three days into me playing, and I have stayed in that star system since. Just looking around the planet. Just looking around and scanning and really exploring. So the core gameplay is survival, staying alive, getting these minerals, crafting... Getting upgrades, buying, buying new upgrades, ships, buying new ships. Do you want a fighter ship? Do you want a ship more, more, um, more in tune, more tuned for fighting, more tuned for cargo hauling? Do you want to be making more money? Is there a trading system in place? There is a a very uh, it's it's weak, but there is a trading system okay. in place. Um, there is an incredibly fun language system in place where you go around finding monoliths and smaller stones on the planets that teach you words in these th- these different alien languages so that every conversation you have with these aliens, they start filling in the blanks and you okay. start understanding more of what they're saying. There's interesting backstories to these aliens. And what happens is, is I realized that I stopped trying to look for goals. I stopped trying to find treasure. I stopped trying to find rare resources, and I just started looking around. I started making my own game, and I like it. You just it. hung out. I just hang out. Around, I play it. And, document some creatures. And Vani enjoys watching it. And while I have not seen any of these big dinosaurs that they promised us in the 2014 trailer, I have seen plenty of elephant-sized creatures that are really cool looking. And I understand the limits of procedural generation, which I don't think many people quite understand yet. Yeah, a lot of the planets look the same. Some of these trippy-looking planets are more habitable than others. Some of them have acid rain. A lot of these things look the same. A lot of the animals look the same. A lot of the plants look the same. But this is procedural generation, and this is how it works when you are dealing with a quintillion planets. Now, that said, the people who are upset with the game, I get it. You thought you were getting something different. You thought you were going to get more action. You thought you were going to get a Skyrim in space. I really like the game. Sometimes I find myself getting too wound up in this, I need to make a lot of money because I want a ship upgrade. But then I go, what am I doing? And then I just go explore, and I find a calm, and I'm happy. I would say this. I'm very happy with my experience. And I will continue to play the game. And I think if Hello Games wants to, they have a great starting point to create something that other people will like out of this. But I'm happy with what I got. I don't feel like I got a short end of the stick. However, if, unlike other games that I've reviewed, such as um, Overwatch or Doom, if anything I'm saying here does not sound interesting to you, don't buy the game. You're not going to like it. You're, you're just you're not. It's not a game for you. Um, it, it's not going to be something that appe- uh, appeals to you now. Maybe it will be in the future. But 
if you want something relaxing, the survival aspects are not particularly taxing. Once you learn how to avoid sentinels or land on peaceful planets and kind of only use the harsh planets to get minerals that you really need, because generally the harsh planets with aggressive sentinels are only blocking off really like hard-to-find resources. Mm-hmm. You get in, you get out, you blast the fuck off. You will find something that is incredibly your own thing. You make your own thing out of it. And like I said... You will bounce around for days, and then you will find something that you want to call home for days. And then you will reluctantly say goodbye to it, which is something that I'm going to do. And I will find a new star system, and I will do it. And will I jump back on that story path? Maybe. Maybe I'll just explore space for a month until I I get bored of it. Um, I feel like there's more I wanted to say, but I do have to wrap this up reasonably. Well, i got to get my points in. I I will. (laughs) And I'll I'll say this last thing. Um, If I were to rate this game... Um, I hate using numbers, so I'm going to rate it thusly. I would rate it a tilapia out of fish. And the reason I would rate it such is um, tilapia is good. Tilapia is kind of flavorless. It's a palate. Tilapia, to me, as a cook, is a great fish, but it totally depends on what you cook it with and how you cook it. It absorbs whatever you want to put into it. It's like a tofu in that way. If you just look at No Man's Sky and you have no idea what you want to do with No Man's Sky and you allow yourself to get frustrated with it and not try to put something into it and make your own thing out of it, you're going to find it a bland experience, a boring experience, and you're going to be very upset. Okay. But if you want to put the work in and just enjoy yourself, you're going to love it. This is a strange game to review, uh, I think, overall. I've seen reviews come out even today, you know, way after they got the review copies. This is a game that had a day one patch that changed the entire game, which is a whole other conversation we get into about reviewing games beforehand, paying that one idiot that paid over $1,000 for an early copy. You basically don't have the game at all yeah, because the patch changes the entire game and, and people getting up in arms over a game that is not even complete now. Like We don't know what they're going to add to this. We don't know what's actually finished in the long term. I do know that from looking at various reviews, it's like it's going to take weeks, if not months, for anyone to get close to the center of, of the, the galaxy or universe. It's, it, it could take a while. Well, the guy who bought an early copy, and granted that the early copy said it took 30 hours, but who knows what the actual patch did to it. From what I've said, people have been playing 50 hours, and they're not getting anywhere. Sure. So, I mean... Well, I can tell you what. I've made jumps, and the number from how far I am from the center of the galaxy is, like, disturbingly... It's, like, going down disturbingly little by little. When you have 18 quintillion planets... Yeah. That's, like, well, that's, like, our, you know, our galaxy, or, you know, like... Sure. Just our galaxy is big, let alone any universe or whatever. Uh, So, how do you judge a game that may not be finished... Is going to add other features. Hello Games has said they're going to add more stuff in. They're going to add in freighters or, or other things. I believe they also said potentially uh, be the ability to build... I, and I'm just going off of what I've heard, but I believe the ability to build your own bases yeah. on planets. So they're going to try to make this more like a game like Star Citizen, which is an entirely different experience. Or a game like... Mixed with me- Minecraft. Yeah. So then what is this game? How do you judge a game? How do you review a game that might take you literally 500 hours to really get anywhere, or maybe a game that's going to be entirely different based upon the upgrades a year later. We don't know. This is this, to, me, to me, this is a game that functions and only exists because of that super formula, allegedly, that they're using, and the procedural generation. Otherwise, there's no game. There's absolutely no game. Uh, the, the, the structure is this uh, mathematical formula to make these planets, to make 
a wide variety to fill up this huge space, a space you said that's just a huge void, with planets here and there, and having these weird creatures that I saw Jim Sterling say, after a while it does seem it's like just inter- interchanging Lego parts it is. on these creatures. So that's the gimmick of the game. But is that enough to draw you in? That's to me what it comes down to. It's enough to draw you in, for someone like me, I might get tired of it after a while. Sure. Not having concrete goals. Not having uh, a, a storyline I can sink my teeth into right away. I personally wouldn't want to go and, and just look uh, and mine uh, the same minerals over and over again for hours on end. Fair. That, to me, would, would get tedious. But maybe but maybe that's not... But it's not for for me, though. Right. I can still maybe marvel at the, the planets and the dinosaurs, but after five or six hours, okay, what's next? I, th- I think... My last words on this before we move on... I think this game also came to me at a, at a specific time where I really needed something like this. And at the end of the day, this is something that's very good for me to play. It's a very good wind-down game. And I remember a really fun moment for me. And it's going to sound a little sappy at first, but it's funny at the end. Is I'm standing on top of this really pretty cliff, right? And in this valley below, there's all these like very pretty like plant plants. And they're all neon, right? And I'm looking up, and you see this. It's this gorgeous like planet, okay? And the way the, the, the graphics and everything are, it just looks really pretty. And Vonnie goes can you go there? I'm like, yeah, let's. So I hop in the spaceship and I take off and we fly off this planet, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is really cool. And we land and it's hostile and it's raining acid rain and the fucking sentinels want to kill me. So we get right back in the fucking ship yeah. and take off in the other direction. But it was just cool to stand there. And, you know, I'm, other games have done it, but to like stand on the top of a mountain of one planet and see a planet in the fucking distance and be like, can we do it? Yep. And we just go and do it. And it's Fair just, enough. it's fun. Fair enough. But you're going to get to that point eventually where yes. I think this is, a, this is a game that might be looked at 10 years from now as a starting point of what you can do with <laughs> My buddy has said this. My buddy and I are playing this and he's enjoying it less than I am, but he's still enjoying it. But he yeah. goes, this is the jump off point for a whole new, um, a whole new spin yeah. on this type of game. Sure. This, this whole super formula, what you can do in an open world game. Uh, because when I see, when I see, uh, all these different types of animals, uh, I'm I'm taken aback by. Oh, it is cool. You have all these different types of animals that look different. But then when I hear they they have like only one or two types of behavior, th- to me that's a letdown. It's they have very it, little behavior. It, to me, it's almost like okay, we can do. Th- it's almost like remember, Hello Games is what 15 people. It's yeah. a small independent. Yeah. This is an independent game company making a huge fucking game. Yeah, um, with some Sony backing though, uh, right? They they got some money for them, but this. To me, is it's an achievement on its own, but is that enough to be impressed at? Because they they basically came, they they saw this formula to make the, this is the type of game that you would you would need a formula like this in order to really see the response. Yes. Or uh, open universe, tons of planets. To me, it's almost like an experiment. This is an experimental game to me, and it's I think totally experimental game. Yes, and and I already said last thing, but had this Goodness. been approached. Had this been approached from the angle of an indie game made by a small studio, which it is, without the hype train, people would be losing their shit over it, mm-hmm. I think. Um, it's being approached from the angle of a AAA game yeah. that's letting down a bunch of people. It, I think that I think the key is going to be, w- w- look, looking a couple years down the line, will they be able to beef up the combat and space combat? I hear the space combat is super simplistic. It is. And it when I hear more. that, I'm totally not on board because I, if, if I'm playing a space simulation, there's got to be engaging space It needs combat. more. 
um, and the same with the ground combat. So can they add enough stuff to sort of incorporate features of something like Star Citizen, for example? To, enough so that you can get fans of that to be, okay, this is Star Citizen, which has planets that are pre-made up, and a lot, a lot less of them, versus almost literally, well, it could be infinite, you'll never be able to explore them all, there's too many of them. An infinite amount of planets... But it's a bare bones gameplay feature. Like, right. is 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 it going to swing that way towards Star Citizen, or is Star Citizen going to just be for someone like me, or this is a game I'd rather play versus a game where I'm, I'm trying to get carbon for two hours and trying to find stuff to graft on my ship, and you know, and dealing with only a couple different combat uh, type weapons at the time. Can they beef it up to some point where it can get more interesting to someone like me? And lest anyone think that I have all these hearts and roses, I do fully expect to burn out on this game. I think this game has probably a month shelf life for me. Okay. I do. I, I, I'm being reasonable here. Because when I see people say, like, after the fifth planet it gets tiresome, I'm doing the same stuff, then it's like... I think I, that's a game that's not for them. I think f- for the type of person it is for, I feel like it's still limited it's a devi- divisive game. It, I think it's still limited, but I feel like I've got a month to go on this. Month to go. All right, well, we'll see. Check back in a month if Ian's sick of it or if Ian's be wearing a you know a, a shirt for the game on the on the podcast, and we'll see what they add in in future updates. Can they now that they have this cool way of generating the universe? Can they populate the, the universe with an interesting story and characters? and more interesting combat options and ship options, etc., etc. And we even talk about potentially, you know, not even being able to see other players because the universe is so big and what right. happens when that happens and naming your own planet. You name, did you name your own planet yet? I've named a bunch of them. Oh, All nice. sorts of dumb things. Look, look out for planet. Give me one. Uh, I named one uh, uh, Overcompensating Chef because it was rich in emerald, which is a very, very valuable resource, and I always wanted to remember that it was there so I could go mine there if I needed money. All right, then. <laughs> Strange ending to the segment. So about a week ago, a little over a week ago, the news everywhere was, tw- everyone was tweeting at me saying, how dare you, Pat, not talk about this topic? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm required to now? Anything has to do with Nintendo? That, that's a little bit older. So archive.org, which uh, they store tons of old uh, websites, and they, they get permission a lot of times to store old uh, resources, sometimes old games, Etc. Old pictures. Someone uploaded to them the first uh, at least 140 issues of Nintendo Power magazine. The scans of them, front to back, cover. Now these were available online elsewhere before. If you know where to look, maybe Torrents, uh, RetroMags.com uh, was a resource I've known about it for years that had Nintendo Power magazines and like all, just Game Pros and other magazines I believe on there. So. People, all these articles, I want to bring up a couple when I get a chance, but all these articles were, were saying that this was Nintendo doing this, which blew my fucking mind yeah. I, 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 at the time. Now, obviously, the timing with something like the NES Classic Edition being announced could make you sort of maybe think on the surface that maybe Nintendo would have done, done that to drum up interest, but when you actually think, common sense takes over, Nintendo... Like the NES Classic Edition is already known to everyone in the know on the internet and Twitter. That's not Nintendo's concern to, to remarket that to the same person and get the word out. It's to the casual person that is not on Twitter all the time who still know about this through Facebook. But those are the people Nintendo want to market to. And how would it even make sense for Nintendo? Like, like yeah, Nintendo Power is cool, but it's like not everyone who had a Nintendo had Nintendo Power. Sure. Small percentage did. Yes, Nintendo Power was u- ubiquitous, but it's like what like you say, maybe. 
30%, 40% of people had Nintendo, even had Nintendo Power, maybe less. You know, So it doesn't make much sense. But what's really weird about this whole story is that a lot of these articles didn't even double-check with Nintendo that Nintendo was the one who actually put it on archive.org. Like, they just assumed it was. Which is just... This isn't ethics in gaming journalism. It's just doing your fucking job as a journalist and Do following up with fucking someone. homework. Don't look like a fucking fool and print stuff. Uh, or it's like, oh, Nintendo's putting it on there. And it's like, really? You really think they would do that? So the timing's weird just because Nintendo's coming out with their, their, their own book uh, in November with covering the 17 first-party published games that are going to be included with the NES Classic Edition. We covered this last time, interviews with, with people that developed the games and worked on them. And also having uh, some content from Nintendo Power itself that is going to be included in that book. So when you put all these things together, uh, it, you're not surprised when Nintendo pulled down <laughs> all Nintendo powers that were, were on archive.org. Just, you're not surprised at all. But it's almost like, how did it get to that point where everyone assumed that Nintendo was the one that put them up in the first place? I don't know. I mean, what has Nintendo done in the past that would make anyone think that this is something that Nintendo would suddenly do, that Nintendo would be so magnanimous as to put... And why would they put on archive.org and not their own website? website. <laughs> you know, like, none of it makes sense. No, none of it did. And... I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it it's a nice thought, but Nintendo Nintendo protects their IPs very, very carefully, and that's their property, and they are probably not going to just let that sit. And the thing is, is Nintendo is slowly starting to realize the value of their um, retro properties. Maybe they have something in store for their Nintendo Power back issues. Maybe there's something they want to do with them there. Who knows? But as soon as people started um, tweeting me about it, uh, my immediate thought, just like everything else that's happened with Nintendo, you know, uh, remakes um, and, and things like that, this is going to get pulled, and sure as shit, it got pulled. So so originally, yeah, it was 143 issues. Um Basically detailing all the NES and Super NES era stuff. Yeah, well, the NES was up to about issue 54, I believe. That's okay. what Woods was in. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I probably am. And Super Nintendo, I'm not exactly... I stopped, I stopped around, I, I think, 92 getting it. Okay. I think Super WrestleMania was one of the last issues I remember with Hogan doing the leg drop on the cover, which is probably like in the 70s or so. <laughs> That's when I stopped. Okay, so maybe yeah, in so 64. They, so on archive.org, you could have got these in EPUB, Kindle... And uh, PDF. Well, you know what you can also get an EPUB and PDF? You can get this. Oh, Jesus PDF. Christ. Not Kindle, though. Kindle's a weird format. I won't get into Kindle. That's a weird format. It's a proprietary format. Anyway, so you can still find these issues online. You just know where to look. Like, like I said, like Retro Mags. And uh, actually, someone from Retro Mags got in touch, touch with me to let me know about some of the things that were going on with this and how they're actually surprised that Nintendo hasn't sent, <laughs> sent a cease and desist letter to them yet. Maybe it's because it's it hasn't blown up yet. Like something like this story. Uh, had. Um, yeah, and then once it's taken down, it's taken down. And Nintendo uh, told websites it must protect their own characters, trademarks, and other content. The unapproved use of Nintendo's intellectual property can weaken our ability to protect and preserve it or to possibly use it with, with, for new projects. Exactly. It's not just being the big, bad, bad boogeyman. It's the fact that if they let all this go, then all of a sudden you have people uh, putting out their own, like, okay, we're just going to reprint the magazine wholesale and put it into bookstores. And then Nintendo can't do anything about it because right. Nintendo will be like, oh, you didn't protect it before. Why do you care now? Uh, we always say copyright's a really strange thing about 
You have to protect it. You have to be at least seen protecting it. Otherwise, there's no such thing as copyright. I mean, that's basically how it works. So, anything else to add? Nope. Just that it's unsurprising and that I wish I had checked it out a little bit more before it had been taken down just because it was fun, but uh, it probably would have killed my productivity at work. Oh, just to, to scroll through all the... Yeah, just to scroll things. through some of it. There's episodes... Or episodes. There's issues that I remember fondly. What, what was some of your, some of your favorite... Uh... Uh, the Chippendale one, and then even though I was you eleven, yeah, seven Chippendale one, um, the Ducktales one, which I actually did acquire a copy of. My buddy Alan got it for me for my birthday, um, and I always really liked the Final Fantasy four one, even though I was not playing a ton of RPGs at the time. Final Fantasy four. Oh, I'm sorry, Final Fantasy two. Oh, two. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I was... I, I might have still had it by the Nintendo Power. I got out about this. And that was, like, one of the last issues I ever got, which is why I remember it, was, it so It was so, a so much. sad day when I when I didn't renew. It was sort of like, Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm just playing PC stuff now. I'm playing Sierra games and, like, you know, and and Duke Nukem, or not even Duke Nukem before that, like, Doom. So it's like, why, why bother? Right. I'm just not. It's sort of, like, yeah, I'm kind of getting misty. I think about that. It's just like... I just realized that the, the, the magazine was useless to me at that point because I didn't have a no, Super Nintendo. I don't I, have, I, all, all it made me, yeah, I just there was nothing oh, in there for me. Don't rile up the people about the anti-Super Nintendo thoughts again. Those were fun comments. <laughs> Real quickly here, uh, in the first month of Pokemon Go being out, it has made $200 million. Pokemon. $200 million. Uh, that I believe is, is that a record. That's that is a record for any app. Uh, Even better than Mobile Strike. Download it now um, at the App Store. <laughs> <laughs> any app released in its first month. Um, when Candy Crush was when when that developer King was uh, acquired for uh, six billion dollars, um, Candy Crush only made twenty five only. Made twenty five million dollars in its first month of release. That's an awful investment, by the uh, way. Six billion dollars. Yeah. Crush. So, uh, Pokemon Go. I, apparently, there's a game called uh, Clash Royale. I know nothing of it actually. Um, was making one hundred and twenty five million uh, as soon as Pokemon Go was released in Japan. Um, it outpaced it and broke the two hundred million mark to become the biggest money maker. Um, this uh, was partially due to sponsorships, uh, which I don't believe they've started here, but they have in other countries, uh, like with McDonald's and things like that, probably where you can go and it's easier to catch rare Pokemon or things like that. Um, but I have to say, uh, I wasn't sure how much these in-app purchases would take off, Um but when you go to parks and things like that and you see the number of lures and things being used in parks to create, you know, these, like, highly condensed zones where Pokemon are just constantly popping up, there are people dumping money into this damn game. I mean, there's people who are spending a, a good amount on it. And, um... I mean, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I, I, I said it the last time and I said the time before that and I, I at some point I will stop saying it. I really... Uh, undersold what I thought would be the long-term popularity of this. Really thought that we would see some serious burn-off in players within a week or so. And I still see people walking around playing the game constantly uh, up and down Newport Avenue. And uh, anytime we go into a big public place, Vani and I go to a park or a mall or you know something like that. Um, interestingly, um, reports have stated that while it's definitely making money for Niantic, uh, the Pokemon company, and Nintendo, um, it's not a ton because they're splitting these profits three yeah, ways. Looks like Nintendo gets about 32%, if I'm reading this right. 
Yeah, I think they've all basically split it at roughly, a, roughly third, a, third, a third, a third, a third, a third. It's still, I mean, it's still a lot. Yeah, they're still making a lot of money, but you know, once you've, you've split it into thirds, uh, it's, it, you know, it's not like they're, you know, buying yachts and you know, dumping into pools right, of right, money. Right. Like, Nintendo, Nintendo just made, you know, uh, what is that? Like seventy million though the last month off an app that you only didn't have anything really to do with. Sure, you know, that's sure. Still and good. I mean, I mean, there's stocks. <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, we're still taking. I mean, their stocks rose like crazy. But I'm just saying, like, nine, well, they they dropped though, like a stone. Uh, once people realize that. Once, once the idiot investors realize that, hey, Nintendo is not getting 100 percent of the profits. Yet. Okay, fair enough. But, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, yeah, all these all these companies have had a, a pretty good month. But um, just the first month, I still give it five months and counting, six months total. I like I said, I, I, I think I think the game's going to have itself a fairly quality, fairly robust user base. It's just not going to be anything like what well, we're seeing now. Do you think it's once they, they do player versus player action that's going to beef it up more. Yeah, I think that's going to beef it up. I, I think all we need to do is look back on this company's previous effort, Ingress, which at four years old still has a very devoted player base, uh, a player base that travels to different cities to take place in large events for gameplay. Um, if they can find a way to work Pokemon Go into that sort of thing, then yeah, I mean, Pokemon Go is going to have long legs. It's not going to have the large, like I said, the large player base it has now. But this is a game that is going to keep people playing, especially the hardcores and the true Pokemon fans playing for a very long time. It's going to keep making them money. It's not going to keep making them money to the tune that they saw this month. You see about they're going to start banning uh, Pokemon Go cheaters, people using bots? Good. Lifetime bans? Good. I am all for banning fucking <laughs> cheaters. I'm so about it. So Niantic um, is going to be cracking down on people who have created the bots to trick the game and those that have used them by serving them a lifetime ban and pursuing legal action. Wow. They're not, they're not screwing around. God, I love when they pursue legal action. Wow. these assholes. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah, it is. What, uh, what Ruining is play experience. Because it's more Android devices you can install bots and stuff. Probably yeah, it's not. It's, iOS is far too locked down for that stuff. I mean, you can crack it and probably do it. But. So, so how would a bot help? I, I have no idea how would a, how would a bot help you I don't catch know. Them? Huh? Help you catch them, I guess? Possibly. But, I mean, they're making an official device that will help you do that. It's like a little clip-on thing that vibrates or beeps. Oh, the, you on know, the wrist? And, yeah, wrist, or you can take it off the wrist and clip it on your belt. Is that not out yet? Uh, it was supposed to be out, and they, they grossly underestimated demand. So, of course. So in, <laughs> well, Nintendo did something smart there. Instead of releasing it and then having people scalping oh, them to the moon, they said, okay, we're not releasing it at the end of July. We're putting it out at the end of September, and oh, we're, going wow. to, we're going to up production. Wow, that, that gives me hope for the NES Classic Edition, where they're going to be like, all right. Uh, hopefully, no, yeah, but they, can't, they don't have a whole lot of room to wiggle to push back. Oh, not that. for that. That's they they, they have to just... That's got to come out for Black Friday and sell a, a shit ton. They yes. just have to take that level, that, that little cartoon knob and crank yeah. it into the red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The whistle that actually whistles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So a bit of cool hardware coming out here, finally. Absolutely. Um, this actually has a firm release date. It's the Nintendo AVS system. From Retro USB, good old uh, Brian. Probably got to strike the Nintendo from that and just call it an AVS. <laughs> well, it's a Nintendo system. <laughs> Plays Nintendo games. Wait, wait, all right. Okay. <laughs> all right, so this is an interesting system. I actually saw the prototype last year. So did Ian. Yeah. Uh, it was in a clear case at Portland Retro Gaming Expo, which we'll be returning at, by the way. I'm excited for that. So Retro USB has put out some cool stuff in the past. My Mr. Gimmick. Uh 
repro. They were the first ones to do the NWC repros. Um, so this is coming out. It's going to cost $185. It's going to come out in September. And what it is, is an HDMI output NES. It's going to output at 720p. Uh, it's going uh, to have the Famicom expansion port. Four built-in controller ports, naturally. Kind of like the analog NT version. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to have that. Front-loading for NES, top-loading for Famicom, so two slots. It's going to be powered by USB Mini-B, which is interesting. It's going to have uh, cheat code slots, so you can use Game Genie, ProAction Replay, wow, ProAction Rocky, which I'm not even sure, sure of, and RAW formats. Uh, an online Nintendo Age scoreboard system through yeah, USB. USB. So that'd be cool. You can connect, I'm guessing, through Wi-Fi. Uh, no, I think through USB what it means is you, you plug in... And uh, somehow oh, so it, it stores your high score, and then you, you dump it onto, com- your, onto your computer. Oh, that's very interesting. I'll, I'll hopefully, that you will be able to cheat with that. Yeah, like that. that was my number one. It, mm. It's a very cool idea. Hopefully, mm. there's no cheating or hacking. Mm. Yeah. Maybe we can have it so, Pat's will hear website, every game could be a pad high score. Uh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Just let it go for one, one episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is based on FPGA, which we've talked about in the past. Yes. To the best of our knowledge. Gatorade? What is it? What's Field programmable <laughs> Gatorade. Gatorade. There it is. Woo! We, we kind of understand it works, but not really. Uh, it's going to have a full menu system. Uh, so it, basically you're going to get some of those emulator features on here. Not everything. Right. You're not going to get the save states. Uh, but you're going to get like... You can get scan lines, scan and lines. you're not not um, unlike because uh, I don't believe the uh, the Retron does it. You get scan lines, but you can also get depth of darkness on your scan oh. lines. Um, uh, gamepad video cheat options, um, and there was a couple other things that I thought there were too. Yeah, because FPJ is not an emulator. Remember, you're basically right. making zero zero lag scaling, which is nice. So this is not this is going to be different than if you were running, say, an RGB uh, modded NES through um, a Frame Meister or something like that. Yeah, um, multiple regions uh, lets you select perfect perfect picture. Horizontal scaling, so you can do widescreen and still have it look uh, look nice, which is a really nice, uh, really nice idea. difference. A uh, really nice, um, Jesus, a really nice feature. Uh, so this uh, is very cool. Uh, yeah, when I when I saw the prototype, obviously the build quality may vary, uh, but the door is pretty cool how it swings up, and yeah, you just insert it in, uh, and it's fine. The cool thing about this is that the power and reset buttons are new old stock Nintendo power resets button. I was going to say they look like Brian it. Brian told me last year that somehow he got a hold of, I guess, somewhere there was, I guess, a box of, of just maybe from an old Nintendo um, uh, service center. Must have had a bunch of them. So those are real cool rubber or plastic. They're, They're plastic. plastic. They're not rubber. They're plastic. Come They're on, hard plastic. I don't know. Come on, man. They're real, though. That's awesome. Which is cool. I like the built-in uh, I like the built-in four-player that's great, just like the analog NT. And the price. Now, now hold on, everyone. We, we need to tell you the price. <laughs> You'd expect this to cost $350, but this is going to cost you $185. And you can get it on FlexPay. And we'll throw in the 1987 Donruss. The Donruss full You're set. You're going to get a Mark McGuire rookie card, for the love of God. Uh, what's also, I guess, cool, gimmicky cool, I'll just say... They're going to have a line of um, release titles, I guess, launch titles. Oh, out, I saw. Like homebrew launch titles, which I can't talk about the quality of them until you know, we actually play them. 
or not or play one. So I, it's kitschy though. It's cool that they're actually going to do something like this. I think uh, it's neat. Yeah, it, it's it's a neat idea. If you didn't want to splurge for the analog uh, NT version, this is like half the cost, and you're getting the same thing kind of. So it's like and more features. With the I scoreboard. think more features. And, so and with the scoreboard and everything else. So that's pretty cool. Yep. And yeah, I'm interested in checking this out. Hopefully, me and Ian get a hold of this. And we'll, we'll test it out, put it through its paces. And, uh, yeah, it'd be cool if it works with the FrameMeister with, with no lag. That'd be fantastic. No, you don't even need a FrameMeister. You just skip the FrameMeister entirely. And oh, that's right. Up HDMI. HDMI. Boom, right to your TV. Although we can capture it easily. Maybe. Estimated shipping mid to late September. That's way quicker than I thought. Maybe for a Let's Play show, we can might. Maybe. What? Maybe. What? Uh, they have Glider in as, as there. So, okay, well, we'll get back to you hopefully later on uh, with word about what's going to be going on with this system. Good job, Brian. This is going to be... You know what? This is a, this is a system that actually is coming out. Oh, here's some of the launch titles, by the way. They're going to have some... Uh, space Shooter called Solaris. Uh, a game called 12 Seconds. That looks like uh, some sort of puzzle game, kind of? Uh, there's a game called The Winner Is You, which sounds cute. Assimilate. Uh, a glider a sequel called More Glider. Quadralords. Power coloring. I think we did p- play power coloring. I think that's a that, that's a necessary play for and the next it's, marathon. It's literally like it's like color a dinosaur, but there's like a cat, a ghost character, a school bus. Yeah, I think that's that could be all right, Brian. If you give us a review unit, we want to play power coloring. Yeah, give us a free copy that would please be the game uh, we'd like to review. It's literally it. color a dinosaur. <laughs> 70 scenes to color, draw, write, and create on. You can draw. Oh, okay. All right. This this is the sleeper hit of the launch titles <laughs> yeah. uh, for the retro, uh, for the AVS. And you can get the AVS limited launch edition in the clear case for $650 if you want. It comes in a really, actually, you get a cool, like, wooden box to, to hold it in. That's, I don't know. I'm not into the limited edition stuff, but there you have it. You have the option to go, to go for that. All right. Oh, it's at RichardUSB.com. So let's talk a little bit more about Nintendo, Nintendo fan projects, that sort of stuff. We're not really talking about the uh, the Nintendo takedown of um, takedown of the uh, the remake of um, Metroid Two: Return of Samus, because there's not a whole lot more to say than what we already said about the Nintendo Power stuff. Uh, they have to protect their IP. And as awesome as the Metroid 2 remake was, um, you know, not a whole lot more to add. You're not uh, shocked. K- kind of the same topic. Yeah. Pokemon Uranium um, was a fan-made Pokemon game that had been in the works for quite some time. Finally got released, uh, I think, not even a week ago. And reached more than 1.5 million downloads. Jesus. And it's, it's an RPG. It's it's Pokemon. It's it's a it's a Pokemon fan game. Looks, plays, looks like what would you say it would look like a DS era game? Yeah, it looks like it looks like a DS era one. Graphics are very nice. Has 150 unique and original Pokemon. Wow. That I think is something that I need to stress for what I'm going to say a little bit later. Um so this is Pokemon Uranium. Um, by all accounts, it's very, very good. Uh, I might see if I can creatively acquire a copy and play this a little bit. Uh, looks like a lot of love was poured into it. A couple interesting things about this. Uh, the first is that 
the people behind it uh, or, or person, um, uh, the creators, the people behind it uh, took it down not because Nintendo contacted them, but they saw what was happening with the Nintendo Power situation. They saw what was happening with the Metroid 2 uh, remake situation, and they decided that rather than wait for the inevitable to happen, uh, they were going to take their own game down. Basically, well, they took they took the downloads off their site and have been hands-off about whatever any other sites are doing with the game. Sure, that's cute, but once it's online, it's going to get redistributed everywhere. Well, sure, and that's yeah. what's going to happen with the Metroid 2. That's yeah. what's happening with the Metroid 2 remake. It's just like those Nintendo powers aren't disappearing anywhere, aren't disappearing into the ether. Um, but it's probably a smart move on these people's part to take it down before Nintendo even sends them that letter. What I find strange about this is if you're going to go through with this and essentially make a tribute game you're going to make 150 unique Pokemon of your own design Mm -hmm. and essentially just ape the format why not tweak a couple things eliminate the Pokemon name and release as a fan game and while you don't have the Pokemon name attached to it why not just let your game be successful on its own? And if haters want to compare it to Pokemon and say you rip Pokemon, well, too fucking bad. Yeah. You made a good game. Uh, and my, my number one... The reason this this upsets me, and I'm not mad at these people, I just I wish they would have maybe taken a different route to it because this looks great, is you look at a game that was released uh, a year, year and a half ago called Freedom Planet. Now, I don't know if you know about Freedom Planet, but um, fairly big indie game. Really big indie game, in fact. It got a Wii U port. Um, Freedom Planet started as a Sonic the Hedgehog fan game. Okay? And as they were making it, people were like, wow, this is really high quality. And I think they realized that perhaps they could run into some trouble. Sure. So they changed the characters. They made their own characters. They made their own story, their own enemies, their own levels. And what they did is they basically made this Sonic the Hedgehog tribute game, this game that plays a whole hell of a lot like Sonic the Hedgehog, but they slapped their own name on it, changed just enough, and released Sonic the Hedgehog under a different name. So I I don't know why they wouldn't have changed just enough things and made made it just different enough that they could have... You know what I'm saying? So that they could have put out their project without fear of reprisal. Because it looks like they put so much effort into this, and it looks really nice, and that that makes me sad. Yeah, you can can clone games, you can ape games. As as long as you aren't using the trademarks, you're not using the assets. I don't know. Are Are they using game assets from Nintendo? It looks like they mimicked the art style very well, but I did not. I did not really notice them using assets. And the assets they could have been using, if they were using pokeballs and stuff, make something different. That's what I was going to say. Change, change the shape or color of the pokeball. Make it a, a fucking I don't know. Pick like Jacks. You know, like a, make it something like that. I don't know. Don't use the name Pokemon anywhere. Yeah. Name it something generic. Trap them in gems. Yes, exactly. Remove any reference to that and people would still say wow this is a Pokemon game right it would be totally legal and they, they could have put it on Steam and gotten a million downloads people would have paid for it 
too. And it, and it would have been just They could have started their own series, would've potentially. Been... Hell, maybe they still can get a, get around it. Maybe yeah. they can. Maybe maybe they just go back. But Maybe Nintendo's going to be like, fuck you, though, because you already put this out, though. Yeah, it, you're right. It's a shame that they couldn't foresee that people would have downloaded this either way. They could have said, yeah. it's inspired by Pokemon. The hell, they could say that in the fucking description of the game, and that's still fine. The only thing I can you know, think of... Or homage to Pokemon. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is, like, there have been tons of really crappy Pokemon clones out okay. there. Tons of free-to-play crappy Pokemon clones that you can get for your phone, and stuff like that. And, um... My only thinking is maybe they didn't want to be associated with those, but by outright saying you're making a game called Pokemon Uranium, that doesn't that doesn't automatically mean you're not going to fall into that trap. Sure. You have proven you got your 1.5 million downloads by showing progress on your game, by showing that it was looking like quality, by showing sure people that this was something that was going to grab their interest, you could have done that without using the Pokemon yeah, I, name. I, I want, so I don't want to sound like I'm scolding too much. It's no, just, no, I'm not scolding. I just think it was short-sighted. Yeah. Uh, because they could have, hell, they could have promoted this for the first, let's see, there was a trailer out July 1st. They could have even said a Pokemon uh, you know, inspired game and gotten a million views and just said but guys, it's going to be called this. This was the name's going to be, and maybe that would have been okay. And this, like I said, remove that, remove Pokemon, no text that in the game at all, change the shape, and, and you know, color the Pokeball, call it Uranium call, Monsters. I mean, what, any, any of these things, whatever. Come up with, come up with your own cool name. But that's the thing. It's like when you, when you get into that, if you're if you're talented enough to go write your own story, create, you said 150 po- uh, new U- unique new Pokemon. Take one step further and be creative enough to then remove it from that IP. Right. That's to me, to me, the easiest part. And then hell, you could have started a new, maybe independent game company at that point with the, with your whole offshoot line of games. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Hundred uh, one and a half million dollars. I'm not saying they all would have paid for it, but hell, if only a hundred thousand of those people paid for it, I don't think they were even charging. That's my, that's my point, though. Imagine yeah. if they put this on Steam for like sure. ten bucks. Okay, I, I get what you're saying. And sell a hundred thousand yeah. at ten bucks. Yeah. You have a studio. You have you you have return on your investment, and now you can come out with more games, you know, for people. And now it's all maybe not for naught. People are going to enjoy it, but you know, all right. Or else maybe Nintendo can say, "Oh, we're going to put this out," but Nintendo probably won't do that. Nintendo's not going to license it. For no. they, they don't. They don't like it. So that would open up a Pandora's box for other people. No, they, they wouldn't do that. Yeah. All right, Ian, we haven't done this in a while. A scumbag? A scumbag! Seller. Seller! Of? Of the week! Week. Week? Week. And it is weak for people to be doing this. It is. It's so weak. What you have, speaking of the NES Classic Edition, which will probably not go another week without discussing on the podcast until <laughs> it comes out, and then afterwards discussing about the quality as we review it in its cute little controls and everything. Of course, you now have people on eBay... Selling pre-orders. Scalping them pre-orders. Well, let's see if they can do that. So, I know now that you can you can pre-order this on Target.com for $59.99. Uh, when I looked, you couldn't get the cute little controllers yet. I want the little controller. Uh, you, can't, you can't pre-order that yet. I'm sure at some point you'll be able to. So, you have nice uh, entrepreneurs on eBay uh, trying to sell uh, the NES... Classic edition with thirty games. Whoa, for like one hundred and forty nine dollars. <laughs> I love how that with thirty games. Of course, that's what it comes with. Uh, one hundred and forty nine dollars. Buy it now or make an offer. Um, 
Disgusting. And they're selling. Some are actually selling. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is a great one. This Okay, this is the person I'm going to hone in on just because of their awful title. Okay. All right. Nintendo NES Classic Mini with 30 games. Pre-orders already sold out. What? Really? I didn't think they were available everywhere yet for them to be sold nope. out. Nope. Uh, I'm not sure how that, that even happened. Let's go to Target right now, though, and check while, while we discuss this. So this person's uh, name is... You do that. I'll look. YGal3379 with a whopping uh, two feedback. Oh, no. Strike that. I'm going to beep that out because I got it wrong. Uh, no, I'll leave it in. This person's name saying the pre-orders are already sold out is Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, B-25, Jeffrey B-25. Two are available. Um, yeah, have it in time for the holidays so you and your children can enjoy this retro flashback. It is not up there. However, the controller is up there with it coming soon. Oh Well, I saw you can pre-order earlier today. Uh, the console is already sold out of pre-orders from major retailers. Guarantee one for yourself by getting a pre-order here today. Shipping will be free, and I will send the package priority, if not quicker. It's Ex- August. Expected date of 11-11. All serious offers considered. Please ask any questions you may have beforehand. I'm not saying you guys should ask questions to the seller or not, but you can. It's available right there. So this is what's weird about this. You are allowed to sell pre-orders on eBay. You can. But you have to be able to ship that pre-order within 30 days of the auction. Of the auction seller. How Ian, is is November eleventh? Let's see, recording this on August sixteenth. How many days would you say November eleventh is from now? No, I'm not very good at the maths, <laughs> but um, that's 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 far more than a month away. I would say that's roughly a hundred days away. Mm-hmm. My quick pat math. Okay, <laughs> so that's 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 not close uh, at all. So even if this was sold out, even if you couldn't get it from. I don't know, this is even up on GameStop yet. Like I said no. earlier earlier today I saw it available. Yesterday I saw it available. No, my, my friend uh, who my friend who's always in the know at GameStop is like as soon as they go on pre order, I'll let you know. Um, he's like, uh, just in case you want one. But uh, mo- I, I know that plenty of places have not op- opened these for pre orders yet. Um, a lot of smaller distribution chains like the ones that we're going through, uh, haven't opened up. Uh, like orders to places like Luna yet, so um, this is by far, uh, or this is uh, words right now. Jeez Louise, um, this is certainly not the last chance you have to get one. This is like this is the first round of, of yes. tickets. This is the first block. Okay, there are going to be many, many more chances. I think for people to uh, get in on pre-orders for these. Absolutely, this is going to be available on Amazon. Walmart, Target, EB Games, does that exist anymore? GameStop. Well, I guess they still exist as some EB Games, but it's GameStop. Yeah. Uh, you're going to be able to get this. Everywhere. So, well, provided so Nintendo I doesn't can, fuck up. But you, you'll you have more chances. That's the point. Yes, you're going to have tons of chances. So, I cannot blame all the sellers being entrepreneurial. They, they, oh, they have a picture that was... Looks like a picture that was taken from... Uh, did I take that picture? It's a, a picture from Comic-Con. Uh, <laughs> but you're going to have your chances. People, you can get your money back because unless this guy somehow has access to a prototype in Nintendo's warehouse, he ain't going to be able to ship this out within 30 days of now. So, just it's just stupidity. Nintendo, please just flood the market with these. These are going to be, in the bulk, in the amount you're going to be making these and selling these are going to be so cheap for you to produce at the end of the day. Get them out there. I'm going to buy at least at least one controller extra and I'm going to buy one unit to play. And we'll have fun with with it. 
and maybe we'll use it for maybe an NES marathon that'll come up in November. Maybe we can test it with that if we can figure out HDMI with it. <laughs> now we'll, we'll play it safe. Anyway, any other things to add in this? Any other thoughts? No, they're jerks. <laughs> they're just jerks? They're jerks. But the scumbag jerk of the week doesn't really have the same ring to it, does it? Fucking jerks. Moving on to movie topics. Oh, this is a fun one, right, Ian? Yes, uh, this open letter. Holy shit, this is scathing. So, Gracie Law, uh, an ex-employee at Warner Brothers... Well, Ian, do you know the significance of the Gracie Law name? Uh, no, I don't. You would if you had seen that Blu-ray of Big Trouble Little China, because Gracie Law is one of uh, the main characters. Oh, I see. That's the Kim Cattrall character. Oh, gotcha. Oh, that's right, right. Okay, someone <laughs> did explain that to me. I'll get Watch there. that movie, I'll dude. get there! Shit! Shit! <laughs> what the hell is Gracie Law doing here? Anyway, go Anyway... Um, a former employee at WB wrote an open letter, uh, not so much to Zack Snyder, really, but to Kevin Sujihara, the head of Warner Brothers Studios, uh, taking out her frustrations and her anger um, on basically the studio's direction and basically the slaps in the face to the people who... Um, have been working there and doing their jobs and doing their jobs well who have been punished by layoffs and uh, you know the, the lack of promotion raises things like that while the higher ups the directors mm-hmm. the quote unquote storytellers uh, are allowed to continuously bomb and tank properties um, the quote that she uh, takes the biggest problem with um, comes in the uh, intro to this uh, letter, uh, this memo that was sent to everyone um, during a a period of layoffs. I want you to hear directly, this is from Kevin Sujihara, I want you to hear directly from me about our plans for the studio. In recent days, we have started to hear rumors here at the company to read misinformation in the press, so I'd like to set the record straight. I know that the hard work and dedication of every employee around the world is, is the key to Warner Brothers' success, and I'm sorry for the distraction this situation brings to the workplace. At Warner Brothers, we work with the world's most extraordinary storytellers, and our f- fucking fuck you! And our focus has always been to provide the creative environment and financial resources <laughs> they need to realize their vision. I'm fucking throwing up in my mouth. Our commitment to that won't change. In fact, we're investing more than ever in our film and television production. That's called doubling down on a fucking sinking ship, and it's insulting to everyone who's fucking worried about how they're going to make their car payment, how they're going to feed their families, how they're going to pay for their houses. That's disgusting, and that's where she's taking her most yeah. her, her um, uh, that that's where she's most of her anger is coming from she's upset as a fan yeah that this that, that Warner Brothers keeps swinging and missing at these properties that they should be easily knocking out of the park but the biggest problem is that people like Zack Snyder are allowed to fucking fail time and time again well, and are continuously given money to fail while people underneath lose their jobs to free up money for these people to fail more. Yeah, it, let's let's get into that. We're not talking this this started way before or let's say it coincided with Zack Snyder doing Man of Steel. Steel, right. This this they, letter this letter she originally wrote this letter when Man of Steel came out and, and then shelved. And remember it. that underperformed. Yes, it may not have it. lost money but that underperformed. Yes. Uh, for a, a, a big Superman movie, the most famous superhero 
Come on. But, but I, it wasn't just that. It was also other movies around that yes, time that she was pissed about. And we're going to talk about some of those right now. Yes. Because I have them all up. Let's go back to the Hobbit movies. The Hobbit movies did not do extremely well. No. They, they didn't maybe lose a lot of money. They underperformed. I remember that last one not making as much. Okay, here we go. The, yeah, the last one made the least amount. The second and third ones made a, looks like far less than the, uh, the first one did. Remember, they split those into three movies. Uh, they were originally going to do two, and then two. they decided to do three. I fell asleep during the third movie. I fell asleep. There was no. I, I, I've fallen asleep with, 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 with like five movies in my life. There's only one movie I've fallen asleep during: Lost World, Jurassic Park. I've, I've fallen asleep during the second Harry Potter movie, or no, the third Harry Potter movie, which actually one of the good ones. I fell asleep during that. Uh, I fell asleep during Hellboy. Really? Because I came back from a vacation, oh, actually okay. a business trip from overseas, so I was just out of it. Uh, and I fell asleep during Van Helsing. Somehow, with Kate Beckinsale being the movie, I'm not sure how I fell asleep. That movie was fucking abysmal. Those are the only movies I fell asleep with, and one of the hot movies I, hot movies I fell asleep for like five, ten minutes during. So that's not to say about why I didn't make money, but let's go over some of these that just did awful, awful business. Jupiter Ascending. I don't even remember. Remember that gem? No. They pushed that thing back. I don't know, a year, year and a half? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing a trailer for that movie with Milo Kunis, and uh, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Channing Tatum, Tatum yeah. Channing, or the hell his name is, Hot Stuff. Hot Stuff. Hot Lips. Hot Lips. So, that movie made about, let's see, uh, worldwide $183 million. Ooh, that's great. The Long budget long. was 176 Good money. When you add in marketing... It probably cost them. We'll just say if they didn't even go out, I don't know, two hundred and forty million to 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 do that with marketing, and they didn't make one hundred eighty million. They'll say they made half of that when you. So they lost a good probably one hundred and forty, one hundred fifty million on Jupiter Ascending. Oh God! Remember Pan? Remember that that reimagining of with a bald Hugh Jackman? Yeah! Wow, that was great. <clears throat> so that cost one hundred fifty million. Oh. The oh. world, that's not even including marketing. Oh. Worldwide, 128. <laughs> so they probably spent 200 million at least marketing and making that movie, and they took back probably roughly, we'll even say 70 million, being considered. They lost 130 million on Pan. Man from Uncle, remember that summer blockbuster from last year? We really need a man from fucking Uncle remake. Fucking watch your humor when I'm trying to take it. What, are we? What is this? The late '90s when you're doing the Avengers TV remake, you know, and stuff based off of '60s. Who the hell even knows Man from Uncle nowadays to, to make a movie from that? Anyway, budget on that one was 75 million. We'll just add in another another 40 uh, million, maybe. We'll just say okay. We'll say 50, 125 million with marketing. Made 110 million worldwide, which means they probably took in 55, 60. So that movie lost about 60 million. Are you seeing a pattern here with Warner Brothers really just fucking it up every which way with these huge, huge blockbuster films? While people are losing their jobs. these are tentpole releases. These aren't like okay, we put out a movie that cost 25 million and barely made it back. These are movies losing dozens of million dollars or 100 million dollars per. So. The higher-ups make these decisions. The presidents, the CEOs, they're the ones that greenlight these movies, let them go. But they're not the ones that lose their jobs when these movies fucking fail a bit, just and do awful business. They're not the ones that lose their jobs. It's people like Gracie Law. Yeah. That's the whole point. And so when a movie like Batman v Superman comes out, 
when we yell about the quality and people and not making money, there's a ramification that not just the fact that okay, it probably uh, was a, it lost a hundred million dollars probably Batman v Superman. They said it needed to make a, a building to break even at least. It made nine hundred million worldwide. That's a fucking failure. Yep. Add that to the fucking list. Suicide Squad, the past weekend dropped precipitously in the second weekend. Of course it did. So th- this all adds up to trouble. There, movie studios can fail. Remember New Line Cinema? doesn't exist anymore. Right. Even with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, buoying it up, it's there's no more Jesus, New Line Cinema. I didn't Cinema. even think about that. Holy crap. You realize they don't exist anymore? No, Cinema? I mean, I, I know they did, but I forgot that they had Lord of the Rings. And they still failed. Yeah. So bad shit happens to studios, and eventually you take a huge loss, you can be gone. I don't want to see people lose their jobs because people are fucking stupid and hard-headed. It's it's ridiculous to keep dumping money into something that. Who the fuck thought Pan was a good idea? idea. No, I I don't know. Man from Uncle, a fucking darker Peter Pan remake. They're doing a Jungle Book, and one just came out, and they're doing their own version. Warner Brothers. Yes, that's ridiculous. Another one, and and despite the fact that I. I just want a fucking DC movie to be good. So I, I, I mean, I said at the last podcast, okay, okay, the Wonder Woman, the trailer looks, it looks, it looks okay. I, I kind of want to see this, but I mean, the word on the set is that it's a fucking mess. They've already lost one director. They've got a second director, and this, this open letter states that word on the set is that it's a fucking nightmare. So we have, we have Man of Steel underperformed. BVS, a fucking nightmare. Suicide Squad, a fucking nightmare. And Wonder Woman, potentially a fucking nightmare. How many? How much more money are these people going to get to fuck this shit up and cause people to keep losing their jobs? It's not just fanboys going home butthurt because they didn't get a good movie. It's not just arguing over, well, you just don't like the dark vision of Snyder. No, it, it's it, it, it's it's jobs, people. It, it's yes. it's it's not just oh you're not enjoy- you're taking it. No, it's it's there's there's real ramifications to shitty movies. Suicide Squad did gangbusters the first weekend, August record 133 million. We're not going to dispute that. Did it really? Yeah. Oh wow. The marketing was fucking insane for that movie. Right. It had yeah. to do, have done well. Right. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the marketing. I'm not an expert on this, but for a movie that big, the budget was 175 million. For Suicide Squad, which oh, is like, sure. holy shit. $175 million. I'm going to say the marketing budget was probably 125 to 150 I'm just going to say that. Okay. I was going to say 125 It was everywhere. It was everywhere. everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And actually, I liked the marketing. I liked the graphical style. I thought the marketing for it looked good. Well, So let's just say that was $300 million. So with our math, our simple math, remember, that means uh, usually, at least domestically, you take about, studios take about half of the ticket sales. Less overseas, remember that. It's usually less, especially like in Asia. We're not going to get into that. We'll just say this has to at least make, to break even, $600 million. So while it was impressive, exactly, a Suicide Squad movie to break even has to make $600 fucking million. Now you see how insane this is. The point, I didn't realize it even cost $175 million. That's insane. Remember, Deadpool only cost about $70 right. or $75. And that... It's a lot different. $75, $175. Right. That's $100 million plus the budget on top of that for marketing. So it's at 471 worldwide right now. It's got to do another 130 million to get there. I don't see that happening, or it's going to barely break even, make a little bit of money. This is the point: is these movies aren't making money. They're in the red on all these movies. This is their tentpole pictures, and this is their DC universe, and the movies are not 
making fucking money. Can we just That's fucking, bad news. Can we pack it up and fast forward to the ba- the Ben Affleck Batman movie, please? Can we just are, do that? Are we going to get there? If the Wonder Woman movie doesn't make any money either, either at some point, if these movies don't make money, you got to cut your losses. No, I, well, and that's that's the conversation I've had with so many people. I just feel like a Batman movie is something that's going to get made at some point, and I feel like I, I have nothing else to say. It, it is, it's, this isn't just like oh, uh, you guys don't want movies to succeed. We. I would love for there to be a DC uh, universe like the Marvel universe, where we are eight years into it, and every fucking movie has been as financial success, and about ninety percent have been critical successes. The worst Marvel movies uh, are, are like Thor two and Iron Man two, and those still aren't like awful movies; they're just like boring, average movies, you know. But at least they're making money, so the universe can still exist, so hey, that we can get a fucking Black Panther movie. To think there's be a Black Black Panther movie coming out, Guardians of the Galaxy Two is coming out next year. We forget. Yeah, that's gonna do. That's gonna make a billion fucking dollars. That movie. Yep. That's gonna make tons of money. You know, it's just insane to think about that. DC can't even get the, uh, their main characters right. Well, that's okay. The, it, it's it's fine. It's fine because DC is really screwing their head on straight because there's there's still a possibility that we might get a Man of Steel too. So right. don't worry. Don't worry, they're going to fucking fix everything with Man of Steel 2. <laughs> they're going to get that character right eventually. Oh, they, they, is that what they said? What was the quote for that Man of Steel 2? Oh, I don't even remember. I mean, I watched it and I read it, and all it was to me was just words hitting my fucking dead face <laughs> as as they talked about how they really just wanted to do it again, and it was just... Warner Brothers has reportedly placed a sequel to Man of Steel in active development. According to the rap... DC has been silent on a sequel to Man of Steel featuring Superman's soul, leading many frustrated fanboys to believe that another film wasn't going to happen. But a person close to the project told The Wrap that Superman is a top priority to the studio, and in quote, getting the character right for audiences is of tantamount importance. So, we're already talking about rewriting characters mid-universe. Three movies in, they're realizing they haven't gotten the character right They yet. have to rewrite the character. That's Three what, movies that's in. That's what getting it right means. That we have to completely change the tone of the character. So, in Man of Steel, you have a... You know, he wasn't totally morose in Man of Steel, but he was sort of like, oh, should I do this? My dad is a lot... He lets his fucking dad die in a tornado. That pisses me off in that movie. Destro- he lets his dad die in a lot- tornado, destroys his city, and breaks Zod's neck. Which, actually, the breaking neck was the least of that my concerns. That was the least of my concerns, Absolutely too. Absolutely not. It was the wanton uh, destruction of the city, which you can say, well, you know, he couldn't help it. Well... He was even trying to not help You me. don't owe them anything, Clark. <laughs> Granted, that wasn't from Man of Steel, but that was, uh, I think that was uh, in the BVS trailer. And then in BVS, you have a Superman that's end of the fucking world, sad, grim, according to... Uh, I, sorry, I haven't seen it. Don't want to see it. Don't give a fuck. It has about 15 lines throughout the entire film, apparently. It's not really a Superman movie. It's more of a Batman movie getting revenge. Uh, you know, and now you have a movie where they're finally going to get it right after all this time. Plus, you're going to have grim, dark Superman coming back from the dead. Spoilers in Justice League, so that's not really Superman because that's that's. Oh, they already, they already said it in the IGN thing that we uh, there, there was like a video that we watched that was linked in the 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 Man of Steel two thing. They're like, and you can catch Superman next in the Justice League, and it's like, of course you can. But that's not going to be the Superman we know loves. That's going to be Rise from the Dead uh. Superman too. So it's going to be like the long haired version with the with a silver black suit that no one gives a shit about. Can we you stop? Know? 
No. No. We should stop. stop. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're done with this topic. So this is going to come out. No. <laughs> this is going to come out either. It's slated for October 5th, 2018 or November 1st, 2019. Because remember, Justice League is not going to be split into two movies anymore. It's going to be one movie. So maybe because they want Zack Snyder gone. By the way, we, we, we kept Zack Snyder's name out of that whole conversation about the open letter with, from Gracie Law. We pretty much didn't even mention Zack Snyder that much, did we? Oh, the rape glorifier? <laughs> Anyways, what, right. what, what, what are the odds that Zack Snyder wrote some notes for the director of Wonder Woman? Which, by the way, remember they, they kicked off the original Wonder Woman director, or they quit, or something happened? Oh, I already mentioned that. They're on, okay. the, they're on the second one. Maybe because Zack Snyder wanted some rape scene in Wonder Woman. We don't know about what the wait and see. Just great. Wonderful. <laughs> Ghostbusters! Alright. Speaking of bad ideas, this isn't a retrospect, but... Um, so, Gus, Ghostbusters... Is headed for looks like a seventy million dollar loss uh, for 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 this this two thousand sixteen version uh, sequel unlikely at first before the movie was coming out they said oh yeah we have a sequel planned this happens a lot it happened with Fantastic Four remake where after that first week or two they're like the talks of sequels usually sort of quietly dies out and they're mm-hmm. kind of like mm, all right so <clears throat> if you look at Ghostbusters on box office mojo. Let's see where that's right, where it's at right now. But Ghostbusters, like a lot of these movies, Suicide Squad, Batman, Batman v Superman, they do pretty well the first weekend. A lot of times, the marketing that's the first weekend. You have your fucking Papa John's commercial, flow and progressive, progressive, which actually pretty was a pretty funny uh, commercial for Ghostbusters. That's all good and dandy. But it's always critical response, and word of mouth is even more important than critical response. People telling their friends about the movie, getting them back to the theater, second and third viewings, that's how these blockbusters do well. So the production the production budget on Ghostbusters was $144 million. Oh, yikes. Uh, I'll say, again, this is Pat guessing, we'll just say even the marketing was at least $100 million. I saw them advertise this during the NBA fucking finals with Kobe Bryant. That wasn't cheap no. to do that. Everywhere else, we'll just say two hundred and fifty million to market this sucker and to make it. Uh, it's made one hundred ninety three worldwide. I'll just say we'll just add another for shits and giggles, another twenty five million. There's a few markets that hasn't come out yet. We'll just say two hundred and forty million when all it's all said and done. I saw the estimates saying it won't even hit two twenty five. We'll say two hundred forty million. We'll say conservatively, uh, it's going to get 50% of that. It probably won't. We'll just say 120 million goes back to the studio, which means what's all said and done. This might even lose more than 70 million when it's all said and done. It might lose 100 million. That's what you're looking at. So you're not going to see Sequel to Ghostbusters. They're at least not a live action one. I mean, that's the thing. That, that's kind of been swept under the rug. And what they're talking about now is an animated Ghostbusters feature, maybe 2019, um, a t- an animated TV series, you know, another cartoon. Um, uh, both of those are supposedly going to be guided by Reitman. So uh, Fag is out of the, the picture, apparently. That's what they seem to be saying. Um, so it seems like the reboot, uh, whatever direction they were going to take it in, is kind of being stopped, it's, curtailed. It's been shuttered. Yeah, it's uh, been shuttered. And it doesn't seem like they want to stop pushing forward with keeping Ghostbusters in the um, in the in the modern eye, but they're no longer going forward with this vision of it. And 
and you know, when you and I were talking earlier, um, I mean, in, in retrospect, it really doesn't matter if this had been a, an all female cast or, or an all male cast. It just seemed like it didn't really seem like the the heart was necessarily in it either. Well- this goes back. We talked the first. You said you said it. The first movie was lightning in a bottle. The sequel, I think, proved the original sequel proved yes. that the first movie was, was lightning, lightning in a bottle. bottle. It's not. It's not the female cast. It's not an all male cast would have made this better. The second movie in the franchise didn't even impress. The second movie. I like it well enough, but it didn't impress that many people. It's the first movie. The first. The second movie did two hundred fifteen. Not adjusted, two hundred fifteen million, which is a lot, but the first one did two forty-two five years earlier. So that's already a drop off, right? Of about twenty-five percent drop off to the sequel. So you couldn't do a sequel to this movie, even if if it, if it was ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and it actually did pretty well on Rotten Tomatoes, which we'll get into. It did like seventy percent because these sequels don't usually do better. They usually, uh, for very specific cases, do sequels do better to these films? Um, but for the most part, they stay standard or they drop below. So, so you could, even if you thought this was going to do better, it wouldn't do better enough to break even unless you cut the budget in half on this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm shocked that the budget was this big on, on, on this Ghostbusters movie. I'm shocked. It was $144 million. So what you have is a comedy horror action film, which is a genre you do not see often at all. No. Already comedies, it's hard for comedies to make a lot of money. That's why a lot of comedies are really cheap. Because they don't cost a lot, you don't need special effects, you get Adam Sandler and pals, Pixels. Pixels is the biggest one I can think of where you have a lot of special effects and Adam Sandler. I'm going to see how that did in a second. Uh, But Pixels is a different scenario. Entirely. So Pixels did, let's see. Pixels didn't do great either. Pixels did worldwide Okay, it did 244 worldwide, which is pretty good. Domestically, it did not do well. Domestically, it did only 88. <laughs> it, it did double foreign, which I'm like shocked at. It did 244. Um, let's say the production. Here's, here's what, here's what save it. The production budget was almost half of Ghostbusters. Production budget was only 88 versus 144. Okay, so that's a huge difference. But even when you factor in, it, it's the 88 million. We'll say the mar- marketing was huge in that too. We'll just say it cost I don't know uh, 140 million with that. So that didn't even that barely uh, probably either broke even or lost a little bit of money. And that's an Adam Sandler movie, who was still big and it had Kevin James. And you get the families to see it, and it costs less than Ghostbusters. So when you when you're doing these comedies, when you're doing a 150 million dollar budget of comedy before you throw in marketing, that's a huge financial risk, huge. You're going to expect it to do better. Uh, well, if you adjust if you adjust the gross, uh, 240 in 1984, it's probably double now. It's probably 500 million. So you're looking for a movie to do just as well as the original, with a whole new cast, women or men, that they said is a fucking reboot and not a, even a soft sequel, and you're pissing off the fan base. So you throw out together and disaster. And that's clearly, that's not even on the director, that's on Amy, Amy Pascal at Sony for greenlighting it. And pushing, if you look at all those emails, they push Ivan Reitman out of that film entirely for his creative people. They said, we want Reitman, we don't want him anywhere near this. And that's what happens. So you can, and you can say, well, this was a case of, you know, there was uh, people that didn't like women, didn't want to see it. I would just argue this was just a bad idea to begin with. And even if you had fucking, hell, 
if you had Adam Sandler in, in the role, because he just did Pixels, and that was what, Sony 2, right? Adam Sandler and Kevin James, and you had them come out, the movie would have done just the same, if not worse. I don't think it would have done better. So I, you I think if you had fucking Adam Sandler and Kevin James, it would have done worse. That, but that's who you probably would have got. Yeah. You know, and you would have been the same exact spot you are now, and you're going to get, what is it, Ecto Force coming out in a few years? You're going to have a Ghostbusters Ecto Force. It's going to be early 2018. Um, you're going to get an animated series, and those will probably be a hell of a lot fucking better than this. And that's it. Anything else? Did I yeah. sum that up? Nice you summed it up. <laughs> is it uh, not Q&A time yet Ian oh we have a movie coming out we have a Star Wars movie coming out just a real quick uh, take on the new Rogue One trailer uh, movie coming out in December um, I you know just you know uh, observing the Twitterverse here I feel like I might be one of the only I feel I feel lonely uh, this this podcast and uh, you know people say I don't like things and now when I like things I'll, I'm sure I'll get called a contrarian I like No Man's Sky and I actually think this Rogue One movie looks like it's something I'm gonna find fairly it looks pretty interesting to me um, I liked what the movie or what the trailer showed uh, movie wise it, it showed more um, I think the story is going to be interesting uh, I, I I like. The, the the ragtag bag band of, of rebels. I like I like the idea of this period in the Star Wars universe. You know, right before things start to kind of go south for the Empire, before the Rebel Alliance really gets its footing. Um, I'm interested in seeing how they take this. Is this going to have? Because uh, you see where things are going to go positively, but is this going to kind of end on a downer like Empire Strikes Back? Um, I still cannot get over my absolute utter excitement that I get to see Forrest Whitaker in a fucking Star Wars movie. And Donnie Yen. And Donnie Yen. That's like insane. And that's like two people that I never thought I'd ever get to see in a, in a Star Wars movie, and I am beside myself. Um, in terms of how they cut it, it's they did not go over the top with making it more lighthearted, but they did add just a touch of levity to it which well there was levity in the teaser with uh, of a rebel I rebel remember that well I thought that was levity a lot of people mocked that segment hard and they cut it and I think they made the main character a little bit more human uh, I can't remember her name now uh, but they they made her a little bit more human and a little less cold and a little less rebellious um, in, in this trailer um, I'm looking forward to it uh, the one thing that I did not care for was I really enjoyed the look of the teaser trailer. I felt the teaser trailer really showed off the directing style of Gareth Edwards, and I, I love his well, directing style. I want to ask you about it in a second. But yeah. Um, but, no, that's that's really where I'm at. I, 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 am, I am still after... I was very worried when they said they were going back for reshoots and things, that the next trailer I saw, I was going to be like, ah, oh, fuck, this is going to be Ewoks, and I, and I don't even hate <laughs> the Ewoks. But I was, I was afraid for like a, a complete and totally different tonal change. And it's not. This is still a more serious take on Star Wars, um, but it, to me it still looks like Star Wars. I'm excited for this movie. Uh, I just hope they didn't try to dumb down or change the visual style of how he directs. You think they did? No. 
Well, it's tough to say. Uh, I mean, let's 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 back up. Remember, okay. this is the movie that there were supposedly uh, like uh, several weeks of reshoots. They said yes earlier in the summer. Was it May about earlier in the summer? Yes. Uh, and now with people saying because because they they basically said we want this to look more like a traditional Star Wars film because even Whitaker looks different in the trailer. I was going to bring that up. No one's really brought that up. No, Whitaker looks totally different. In the teaser, Forrest Whitaker looks like he's got a bald head and a little goatee sort of. No, he, he's still got the wild hair, here. but it's like black and white. And in this, he looks dusty. He looks more no, no, like no. just uh, the shot in the teaser. He's bald. I'm looking at it right. Yeah, now. Yeah, I know he's bald in the. That's why. That's what I'm saying. Okay. In the teaser, he's bald and has a neatly trimmed. Beard, and when you look at him, it, it, he looks like fucking Albert Einstein hair in this new trailer. Which means that they fucking had to reshoot all of his scenes, unless sometime in the middle of the movie got a got a makeover during the, the during this rebellion. They reshot every fucking Forrest Whitaker scene in the film. Yeah, it's it's obvious, and it's like, really weird to see that. Um, and, and, and like the parts where they showed Grand Moff, um, like it, it, the, a lot of the visual style changed, and that does story wise. I'm still convinced this is something I'm going to like. I'm just really concerned that visually, something I really wanted to see something visually unique come from, come out of a Star Wars movie, and I'm afraid that they nerfed a lot of that. The, the, the shots of her talking to Ma Mothma, who looks just like the original actress, by the way, yeah. that looks like the same shots. Me. Okay, I, mean, I can probably go back and parse it out. I mean, it's, it's very small. It looks like that's the same. She looks exactly the same in both of those, the actress. But then again, who knows? They reshot that, right? So, but they looks like they, they might have redone the, the Donnie Yen stuff. They might have redone. With it looks like stick. it. Yeah, like the, that looks totally not nearly the same as like his original style. There's a, there's a shot of it sweeping around. When it was the more shot of Mon, the I mean, they don't even show it in this trailer, so maybe it's still in there. But the original shot of Mon Mothma walking away. I, there's a lot of like very stylistic shots that were in that original trailer that I don't. They're not in this trailer. Maybe they don't want to reuse the footage, but I have a feeling it's because they're trying to distance themselves from that look, and that upsets me. So you think the teaser was more ordinary? A lot of grounded shots, a lot of the shots from the teaser were, like, very just standard, not, like, looking up, not from up looking down, you know, very just standard, like, ground-level shots. They're kind of diorama, artistically laid-out shots, I felt like. I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but either way, no matter what, I, I still think this is a Star Wars movie that I'm going to... I, I, it's a Star Wars movie I'm interested in. Am I going to like it? Who knows until I see it. But I'm intrigued enough that I'm definitely not one of those people who's like, fuck this, this it's not my Star Wars. No, this this is intriguing to me. A um, couple of things in here that they're starting to try to work, and obviously I'll, I'll bring up Dark Forces again because this is Dark, Dark Forces is a story of... Kyle Katarn, he's the guy who gets the Death Star plans in the beginning of the game. That's the first mission of the game. People are trying to say that the the, the sidekick character, the guy with the mustache, could be Kyle Katarn-esque. He's kind of dressed like him. It's not Kyle Katarn, though. But they have the um, the names of the characters are kind of similar, but the roles are reversed. When you look at, uh, what is her name? Jan? Is it Jan Ors? What's her character's name? Or is it Jan Ors in Dark Forces? Uh, Jan Ors... Jan Ors is a character in Dark Forces, and the main character's name in this movie is Jin Urso. It's in the ball. Uh, yeah. It's in the ballpark. Yeah. It's not exact, but it's in the ballpark. The droid that they show, which is actually humorous. Oh, I won't, I won't be killing you. Yeah. I just said not to. There's a droid in Dark Forces, and those stories that is a similar build to that droid. So it's like they're kind of taking some elements right. there, uh, here and there. 
I just wish they had Kyle Katarn here. But okay, yeah, I'm very excited for this. Wait, wait, but that's a female main character, and I'm not going to see it then. No, I mean, oh, no. No, no, I still will. Can't see actually. it. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, all right, so I'm very interested to see Ian's perspective about from the teaser, thinking that they, he could see clues for how they reshot a bunch of it. But definitely the fact that Forrest Whitaker is entirely different looking. Yeah, Forrest that Whitaker is so looks funny totally to different. Me. He looks better. It's all grizzled. He's like... <laughs> that... Forest. But why is that? I think that was a Disney decision. All right, we want Forrest Whitaker to look like, like, you know, he looks like a homeless person on the street, basically, for the sequel. So, And it's time now for your Q&A. Q&A time on the CU podcast. At Subdero, which games, if any, are better and or easier using an NES Advantage or Max? Not your Max, Ian. Fucking A. Fuck off. <laughs> um, I always really liked using the NES Advantage for uh, a couple different types of games. Um, shooters, obviously, it was always fun using the Max for shooters, 1942, 43, uh, Gun Nat. the Advantage for shooters? Yes, the advantage. With the joystick, okay. Yeah, with the joystick, sorry. Um, that was always fun. But um, River City Ransom, Double Dragon, those were always fun ups. using that. And uh, nice I. Big red buttons. Yeah. And uh, I think the game I always had the most fun playing with the advantage was the. Uh, was uh, Super Dodgeball. Really? I just plugged it in the one day to give it a go, and I had a blast playing Super Dodgeball with it. So, um,. Sometimes when the opportunity arises, now you I'll, had you had one growing up, obviously. Um, yeah, I don't even know how I got it because I don't remember ever getting it as a birthday present or something. I think like a well, actually, yeah, I think a friend gave it to me, which is funny because we'll go on to the max. I think a friend just never used it and you know gave it to me. Um, Lucky you. The max, I had never used until I went over to my friend's house when I was in I, I was I was young and I was in Catholic school and it sucked. And him and this guy and I, I only knew him for a year. He was nice. Uh, we were in, like, fourth grade. We both got picked on. I went and played. Uh, I went over to his house and we played games. And uh, he was a whiz at using the Max on RC Pro-Am. He was, like, fucking unbeatable. I mean, he was just insanely good with it. Um, I've also heard everyone and their mother tell me that the Max is, like, the ice hockey controller. Well, that's how they marketed it. The commercials yeah. literally had ice hockey and RC Pro-Am. Yeah, oh, is, oh, actually, RC yes. Pro-Am was one of them? Okay. Oh, I did yeah. not know that. I knew that ice hockey was part of it. Um, but he was so good with uh, RC Pro-Am with it, and Trigg always says that he's really good with uh, the Max on ice hockey. Um, I couldn't do it, so this kid had two of the Maxes and was like, I never used two of these Maxes, and he gave me one, and I never could get good with the Max. So um, I think the Max is dog shit. I hate that controller, but the advantage, oh. I, I, the advantage I really like. Fighting words. Okay. Um, I, I had the Max as a kid because it was cheaper. It was only like 20 bucks, I think, and I believe the advantage was either 40 or 45 retail. It was, it was at least double. I remember that. Until you can find them at Toys R Us until the year 2006 for only 10 bucks on clearance still. You know, you can find you know, my, Mine's brand new still from like Toys R Us. Anyway. <laughs> so as a kid, my friend Kevin, cheater at Tech Mobile, you asshole. My friend Kevin, I also used to make fun of me to other friends behind my back. Kevin. I talked about Kevins on, yeah, on yeah, Twitter yeah, today. Yeah. Oh, oh you, you, made a, you made a disclaimer saying not all Kevins are bad. Not all Kevins. Anyway. So he had the advantage. I never got used to it because I never got to play it a lot. So on platformers, I sucked using the advantage. Yeah, it's not great for platformers or anything like that. It was really tough. I can picture it being great for for shooters, though, or maybe even a game like Skate or Die. You know, being like sort of of fun using that. Yeah. Um, 
but never got used to it. Plus, I have small hands. I have small hands now. No jokes. Small, small hands. So, but I had the Max. And the Max was great for games like Track and Field. And especially games like Track and Field 2. Anything that used a circular motion. Hmm. You gotta swing around that hammer. Mm-hmm. The Max is the best way to fucking do it on the NES. Yeah. Uh, racing titles. Didn't remember ever using it for, um, for a game like RC Perum, but a game like Blades of Steel. With a friend or ice hockey? Oh yeah, oh yeah, because you're. It's a game. Uh, you want to use the max for a game where you're almost constantly moving it in different directions. Sure. So for a platformer, it's going to suck because for a platformer, it's not precise. Uh, but for a game where you're constantly going left to right or around, uh, sports titles like that, uh, probably a game like Tech Mobile uh, would probably be pretty good. But definitely a game like Track and Field Two, Ice Hockey, RC Pro Am. Uh, those are what you want to do. Probably even a game like Goal or a soccer game would probably be pretty good. Uh, for that. But that circular, it's called the cycloid, uh, Ian. Okay. And it's a thumb rest inside the D-ring uh, that surrounds it. Okay. I'm plagiarizing myself right now. All right. It was marketed somewhat for use with sports race titles. Here's the deal, people. Uh, when you come to me and say that the max is broken. It's not. It's not. You have to push it down. The cycloid, which is a really weird term that Nintendo, Nintendo comes up with really w- weird terms. The cycloid doesn't do anything on its own. It's literally a thumb rest. Yeah. So inside, you're moving your thumb, and then you get a push to the side. You can use the max without the cycloid. You can just use the ring around it and push on the, the extremities of, of the ring on, on, on the outside and use it. That's basically what you're doing with the cycloid. You're just directing your thumb and doing it. So once you understand that, it's not a bad controller pox on you. You just can't use it for certain games, like platformers. An action platform. It's tougher because it's not precise. It's not a game you want to use for very precise, little, minute, little movements. Sure. You want to use it for s- more sweeping movements. Games like racing games or games like ice hockey where you want to just twirl around nicely and then your thumb will thank you later. That cute little cycloid. What am I doing? I don't know. What All am right. I doing? What am I doing in my life? You're answering a question from Mike Tiskione, I think. Mike! Oh. MJ Tiskione. What's the worst expensive game right now on the NES? A game that's over a hundred, but is the most horrible game. I just actually flipped to it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. According to a certain NES guidebook, certain there was only two games that got zero out of five stars or a bomb. One that Ian reviewed. One that I reviewed. The one that I reviewed cost maybe ten, fifteen dollars. The one that Ian reviewed cost a grand. <laughs> so that would be the worst one. Uh, in terms of value, but maybe that's too easy. Maybe we should go for the ones that cost over only like a hundred dollars. So the one that but, I did was Cheetah Men Two. Ian gave it away. Yes, Cheetah Men Two is probably the worst, most valuable NES title. Yeah. Um, but some other real stinkers at the over a hundred dollar mark. Contra Force. Contra Force. Okay. Not a fun game at all. I reviewed Contra Force, and you probably gave it way too high of a score. <laughs> Why would you think that? I felt like you scored a little high. Three stars for Contra Force, above average. Ooh, above average. Ooh, that's an ill. Ooh, gross. Why is that gross? Because Contra that's Force a- is not a three-star game. To you, okay. What would you have given it? Like two. Game so is below- rough as shit. Uh, you learn how to play it. It's okay. I gave it three. So that's that's your choice. All right. Um. I yeah. I really don't like that one. And it's just it's on my head because we have it, um, at the store currently. Um. I'm trying to think of something else that's you over. You acted like I gave it fucking four and a half. You know, three to two, yeah, it's 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 a star off, but Jesus Christ, Ian. I just hate that game. Ew, ew, ew. All right, how about 
Is it easy to say stadium events? But the, yeah, it's that's a little too easy. That's like uh, I give it one and a half. Stars. It's not a good game. I mean, even if it's, if a, te- you, it's a tech demo, really. you take it. In, I mean, you even know. even if you just take it as world class track meet, I mean, it's not a good game. You get away yeah. with it because because you can get world class track meet for three dollars. So it's like right. But as an expensive game, no, it's not good. It's just running in place. Uh, over a hundred dollars. Uh, Jetsons is, is, I think I gave three and a half stars or four stars to Jetsons. So that's not I was going to say, I don't like that one, but fair enough. But even even Flintstones Dinosaur Pig, I gave four stars. It's, it's a fun game. It's a good game. So, um, I mean, so for those, it's okay. Little Samson's a good game. Where's something yeah. like Tag and Dragon sit? Because that's a mess. Ooh. Well, price-wise. Once you get into the bunch games and Color Dreams. Yeah, but I just don't know where they sit price-wise. I don't know. Tag and Dragon? I don't think it's I can, over 100 I can look it up. It's probably like 70 bucks. Yeah, I don't think it's over 100 uh, Moon Ranger, that's over a hundred bucks. That's yeah. That's that's a one star game according to page two twenty one in a certain NES guidebook. What is that good for, Moon Ranger? See, once you start getting into those games like Secret Scout, it it's just too easy at that point. Or Raid twenty twenty. Oh, you, you gave it, was that, that a half star or star? That was a star, I think, based on uh, humor value. Just on humor value. I think I gave that a, a half star bump for 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 humor quality. Yeah, Moon Ranger, I think, is a $100 game. So I think Moon Ranger is probably, that's a solid choice for, you know, just overall garbage. You know, sure. That's, yeah, I'll buy it now $203 for the black cart version, 130 buy it now for the blue cart. Um, let's see. Let's see if we can stretch this out another minute or so. Uh, this topic. We're going over our two hours. Um I'm, I, Robo Demons? No, that's not a hundred dollars. That's not hundred. I can think of you know games that are close, but nothing that's like over a hundred. And really, a lot of it's the unlicensed garbage. Sunday Fun Day. Sunday Fun Day is well over a hundred. That's no good. Um, I really want to say the Bonk's Adventure Port. I really dislike it, but it's not awful. You're out of your fucking mind. It's not a bad game. It's a point, but it's not a bad game. I don't, I don't want to say the Star Wars game. You're going to say you're going to say ooh again at me, but it's not a bad game. I say ew all the time. It's not. It's not. A, it's not an insult at you. Which one were you going to say? I don't was going to say anything. No, you said which one were you going to say, and I was going to say ew. Oh, Bonk's Adventure. Well, oh. that's not a bad one though. Challenge of the Dragon. That's is that a hundred dollar game? Again, just look at all the color dreams and bunch yeah. games. I mean, they're pretty bad. Yeah, they're rough. You, you, Even if they're close to you 100. Gave, you gave one and a half stars a challenge of the dragon. I, I tried to like it. Well, you know it's going to be easy to look these all up later on. It's going to be really lo- look up with a certain... A certain book. No, no, no. A certain NES app coming up. Oh, we have something new to advertise. <laughs> a certain NES app's going to be coming up in September. Here's the beta version. Coming up. It's loading up. So you're going to be able. This is this is early. You're going to be able to search any criteria in the book. So I would, I honestly would be able to search any. I could say any game below two stars that currently is selling for over hundred dollars. I'll be able to do that with the app. That's going to be cool, people. That'll be very neat. It'll help us out in a future podcast topic we can't do right now because it's too complicated. Yeah, exactly. That we, that we talked about before. <laughs> that hurt my brain just thinking about it. Sure. All right. Uh, da, 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 da. This is. At Dublin da- Danny or Dublin Day NY, why do people have the urge to play bad games like Jekyll and Hyde in Action Figure 2? Is it just AVGN or something else? Um, I'm sure AVGN didn't hurt it, but I mean, all the way back to when I started, you know, buying these games up in the late 90s, there was always a real appeal to playing the absolute shit games. Um, Probably more so when they were, 
cheaper, you know, and they, you could you could pick up a shit game for you know a few bucks and whatever. Yeah, it was no real skin off. Speaking back. of Jekyll High, that shot up. Yeah, that used to be like a five dollar game. What is it now twenty? I don't know. I don't even see it anymore. Um, I used to say this uh, all the time. I used to say that. There was no such thing as a, a bad NES game. I used to say that there were ones that were fun to play and that there were ones that were fun to laugh at. And that, when, when I first started collecting, that was honestly one of the big appeals of it for my friends and I. We'd go to the flea market, we'd buy a bag of 20 NES games, we'd go back to my place, and we'd sit there. And the good ones, we'd play for a while and be like, this is really good, and we'd put it in a pile... And we'd go back to it later that day. And then the bad ones, we'd play for a while and we'd just laugh. And it's just, I don't know, there's something inherently funny about it. But to me, a lot of the bad ones also, not all of them, but even a lot of the really bad ones do have these little nuggets of good ideas that just never made it out of the trash. And it was always interesting to Streamers see. Streamers and Action 52? Yeah, exactly. Something like that. And it was, or, or, or just like Action 52 in general, it's like, they just crammed the most crap in there they possibly could. Or you turn on Action 52, and you get hit with a uh, not-at-all-legal rendition of uh, Rob Bass. <laughs> you know, it takes two. And, I mean, these things are just funny. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe it was the drug use at the time, but it was just... <laughs> It was maybe it was the quaaludes. It was, it was funny to put in something like Raid Twenty Twenty and just laugh at the ridiculous of it all, or to put in something even more common like like Narc and be like, "This is absolutely fucking insane." I can play Narc though. You, you can play that. It's yeah, well, I'm not saying you can't, but I mean, it's still just weird. So I, I think I, I think with bad games, it's also there's a borderline to. Silent Assault's really bad. That's the, a one half star. There's a borderline to uh, bad games as well. I was talking to my my friend Frank a little bit about it, where I genuinely, unironically enjoy Wally Bear and the No Gang. Oh yeah, it's 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 entertaining. I like it, yeah. and it's not just for the kitsch factor or the anti drug message. It's not even for the eye searingly bad wallpaper in Wally Bear's parents' <laughs> house. It's not a good game. It's hard, and there's lots of patterns to memorize, but it's got this weird, repetitive, hypnotic music, and there's something fun about it. It rides this thin line of absolute crap, but it sucks you in, and you play, because you want to see the next weird cutscene. You want to see the next weird level with these odd glitches, and it, it I, that sort of thing just keeps you going. I gave it a star and a half. Um, I, I would have given it the two bump. You can give me an U for that. No, I mean, you give you give it a nostalgia bump. It's not a two star game, but at, as I write in a, this guidebook, at the end of the stage, is Wally will converse with an animal friend in a cutscene who will inform him of an issue someone is having with substances like drugs or alcohol or other issues like having to retrieve a stolen item. In this way, a thin story exists, which is really an excuse to convey knowledge like don't drink and drive and to not talk to strangers offering candy. <laughs> While designed to help keep kids safe and off drugs, it certainly wasn't designed for enjoyment. That's that's my review, which is about accurate. I always think for something like that. But the whole point is that it's bad to play, but there's enough surrounding the game that makes it like a, just a, a curiosity at least that you can say, "Oh, this is like a." It's it's like watching a a, a bad movie. Uh, you can watch a movie, a bad movie, and it's not like you're going into the movie with expectations that it might be good. You know, it's not going to be something great. 
So you can just sort of relax, let your guard down, and just enjoy it for what it is. And that's what the same thing with a bad video game. I think it's the same thing. Yeah, you can just sort of like, well, we can get out of it. We can get out of it. We're not going to. We're, we're not looking at this with a, with a total criti- totally critical, you know, eye about it. Sure. You know. So let's see. Um, do I have the urge to play bad games though? I don't know. Is there anyone we ever play the NES Marathon that we go back and play that's actually really bad? That we just feel like, oh, we want to play this? Besides Color Dinosaur, that doesn't really count. I was going to say, we always do Color Dinosaur, but I think that's more well, that's for tradition like than curiosity. That's a creativity game. It's not really like a game. I don't know that there's anything that we really, truly go back to that's bad on purpose. We should, we should try The Last Ninja this upcoming. Oh, God, no. <laughs> that's a game that I really abhor. It's actually pretty hard to find. Last Ninja. Yeah, I really hate that game. That's a bad port. Uh, I, I met the composer of it. It's supposed life. to be like one a really great game on uh, the PC. Commodore. Or, or, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, the we, Commodore. But it's yeah. yeah, it's awful on the Nintendo. All right, well we'll 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 pick out some unintentional or, or intentionally bad ones this this ending this marathon and see what we can do with them. Like Last Last Action Hero. That's actually that's actually fairly fun. Last Action Hero. For how bad it is. All right, this is from Shane Prutzman. Pat, how do you really feel about copycat videos? It seems like there are now countless knockoffs of flea market madness. No one owns a genre of videos. This goes back to the fucking Fine Brothers. Right. They, they own React videos. So I don't own the genre of, you know, someone hunt game hunting videos. I might have been one of the first people to do it uh, way back. Oh, I shot it in 2008 and actually uploaded it in 2009. I don't own the genre. No one owns it. Uh, when it comes to whether it's genres or videos, it's can you make it interesting? Can you take an idea that, that existed before, can you make it interesting? So guys like Billy and Jay took game hunting and made it, they crossed it with uh, American Pickers and made it interesting. So it's like... It's yeah, and there's story threads and there's, callbacks, and they've almost made it, they've made it there's, a sitcom. There's interviews, so it's basically, it's American Pickers, they describe it as American Pickers... And now they do other elements. Now they, they search for toys. They, there's one episode that was basically a ghost hunting episode uh, there. So it's can you make an idea interesting? You can do whatever you want. I don't care if you do what you want. But if you want to stand out, you have to make it unique. You either have to be interesting yourself or make the idea or twist on it unique. If I came out with Flea Market Madness now versus when it came out, I had the advantage that no one else was, was really doing it. If I came out with it now and was starting out with, with even 1,000 subscribers, no one would probably watch it. Because there's nothing unique about it in the climate. Because everyone else is doing the same idea. But the fact that it was way back then gave it an advantage. So it doesn't bother me, but people have to understand that if you're going to be doing an idea that exists already, it's been around forever, if you want to do, if you want to do something for enjoyment, that's fine. But if you're looking for people to first get exposure, you got to do something that's on your own. And there's going to be a point where people you know, will get sick of the genre or not want to do it anymore. Am I sick of Flea Market Madness? No. But it's just something that, you know, it's basically going through the motions and doing it. I've done 20, I think I've edited 26 or so, 27. I've shot at least 13 more. And it's like, even shooting was like, okay, it's cool. But if it wasn't for Frank making them interesting, honestly, would I be wanting to do them? I don't know. Because I want to interact with someone. Billy and Jay have the advantage to interact with each other and the people. They have someone shooting it. To me, that's that's part of the fun is having a pal to go around with. You know, if I didn't have Frank, would I be forcing you to get up at 7 in the morning and go with me to shoot it? You know, and we could do it. <laughs> you might be trying. <laughs> I'd be trying. Throw you in the trunk trunk of my car and have you roll you out there. Oh uh, Vonnie would go with me. Vonnie uh, would go with you, yeah. So with, with Pat and Vonnie's flea market, uh, Madison. Vonnie would go. I would uh, not. So it's not the fact that the term knockoff, I think, is a little bit harsh. 
Because again, no one owns this genre. It's just like saying you do an action film and everyone else do an action film. It's not. They're not really knockoffs. Unless someone's using the same exact beats that I'm doing and using a similar theme song and doing the same little reaction, green screen corner reactions, then you can say, okay, that's a knockoff. But just going to flea markets looking for shit is not a knockoff. Right. At Relic0037, will the NES Classic Edition cause cartridge prices to drop for the 30 games it features? Um, I don't think so, because I think the market for the NES Classic Edition is so outside... It's It's outside enough of the the collecting scene that while collectors may buy it because it's cool I think that the main target audience for this is not going to magic I I don't know that it's going to convert enough of these people to to collecting that this is really going to have a a big enough impact to drop the price of these cartridges you also have to understand that this is a solid state piece of technology all these games are self-contained um so I don't think that's necessarily going to drop the price of those cartridges to begin with. Plus, not many of the cartridges, on, not many of the games on the system are that expensive to begin with. If anything, if it turned enough of these people on to collecting, I could almost see it causing a price bump to some of the games. Say Super C, for instance. I'm just taking it as a wild example, as perhaps one of the better games on there, uh, especially for two players. Um, look at it like emulation. You know, how emulation affected collecting in the late 90s and the early 2000s. People get this box. They play these 30 games on it. They get interested. They decide that they want an, act- an actual system. Suddenly, Contra's not on there. So, you know, they're not playing Contra. They're playing Super C. Suddenly, they decide they want Super C as one of the first games they want for their system. Now i got to run on Super C cartridges, and Super C cartridges see a slight price bump. I mean, it's hard to say, but I really feel like the market for this I, I think my real answer to this is the market for this is different than the market yeah. for collectors, and it's really not going to have an effect on the cartridges at all. Uh, I really don't see it having you know, a dropping prices. I see a small situation where it could potentially raise the yeah. price of certain cartridges a touch. I'm not sure why it would raise the prices on the ones included, because you're playing the games. Like, so, if, Well, if people decide that they're getting into collecting and they want a physical copy of it. The same one they already own. Like I said, I'm, treating, I'm, I'm thinking of it as like emulation. Yeah, they, yes. They're testing it out, and they just said, okay, I want a real copy of this. But I think by the very nature of who this is being marketed to is going to buy, I think that's going to be even way less in emulation. I sure. Think. Oh, yeah, no, admittedly. I'd, yes. I'd be shocked. I mean, it's it still, for the amount of, for the millions of people that are going to buy this, if the fucking Atari flashback sells at least a million, this is going to sell five to ten million. Sure. Uh, for, well, let's just say five million people buy this. If even one percent of people get into it, you're adding, what, 50,000 people, 50,000 new retro game. That's a huge amount to add. I don't know if that's going to happen, though. I no. think by its very nature, the convenience of this, people are going to say, "I got to buy what a console now, and it might not even work right." And I got to clean games, and they're going to be totally turned off. Well, they're going to be like, "Wait, the, I mean, you make good points," and like, and that's why I said my situation is very hypothetical. I got to buy a console; it's more than what I paid for this. Yes, the game is half of what I paid for this, depending on, or you know, it doesn't a, work. Th- out. A third of what I paid. It doesn't work on my HDMI TV. Doesn't work the first time I try it out. Yeah. You know, it's, you're a, right. it's a nightmare scenario, I think, for the vast majority of people. The people that are going to get into this, uh, there, there will be some. Don't get me wrong, but I think the percentage is going to be very low. It might be 1%, and that'll even jump the price up maybe of other games. But the good news is none of these games are rare that are included in this. That's what I mean. They're not rare, and none of these cartridges are expensive, and that's what I mean. Like, 
like I said, I just took something like Super C because Contra's not on there. You do the emulation model. I mean, maybe yeah. you know you yeah. would see a five dollar price jump in that. Maybe worst case scenario. The maybe. hardest to find game on here is the original Donkey Kong, but you can buy Donkey Kong Classics, which is common. Yeah, like that's that's honestly that's the only one I would say that's uncommon on here is Donkey Kong the original and Donkey Kong Junior. That's it. The rest are but they exist re- in a combo cart. That's that's easy. They're common. Yeah. So and and it's so much less than buying the two. It's like a a quarter of the price if you just buy that. You know. So why would you even bother? You know, so all right. I'm, this is the this is the year of the NES. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. With uh, a certain book coming out, a certain app that might be on the way, um, a certain NES marathon that might be coming back for what the seventh one. Seventh one, Ian. Holy shit! Uh, so this is the year of the NES, or at least the fall. The fall of the NES. Not who gets to play Morgan Freeman? Who plays Brad Pitt? Sorry, every, I mean, every time I hear the number seven, I immediately think of What's the in the console? What's in the console? What game's in the console? Alright. <laughs> oh, what a great, what a great movie. Fucking great movie. Can't believe I forgot to put it on my list the other night. At first, when you said Morgan Freeman, for some reason, it, I blanked out on Morgan. I thought you were saying Morgan Fairchild. So I was thinking, what the fuck movie has Brad Pitt and Morgan Fairchild in? <laughs> That's why I had this blank look in my face, like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> I seriously thought about Morgan Fairchild with the, with the big boobs and the blonde hair like from the 80s and yeah. 70s. I was just like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> anyway, so uh, we, have a, uh, we have a lot of stuff with the podcast. Mm-hmm. We yeah. have a Patreon, though. We do. Ian writes for it, uh, allegedly. I've been writing for it a lot more lately. Really? Actually. Why don't you let me know? I'll, I'll, I'll read it, unless you're embarrassed. No, I've, read like, I've written like three things in the past month for it, I think. Oh, well, it's patreon.com slash pixelsickle, P-X-L-S-I-C-L-E. That helps support us. If you want to advertise or sponsor the CU Podcast, shoot an email to cupodcast at thepunkeffect.com. Uh, we have that cupodcastsurvey.com. If you take that, give your email, it's a chance to win a digital copy of... This last time I hold it up. Ultimate uh, Nintendo Guide to NES Library, which is available for pre-order at ultimatenes.com. It'll start shipping in September. Uh, well, actually, late August to backers. But if you order it today, it'll probably ship in September to you. And uh, I will be at two conventions coming up. Soul Catwatcher Gaming Expo, August 20th and tw- 21st in City of Industry, California. And returning to my home garden state, uh, a video game con. That's what it's called, a video game convention. September 10th and 11th in Parsippany, New Jersey. My dad used to work in Parsippany. New Jersey, North New Jersey, and that's it. And wow, this was a pretty economical CU podcast, at least for us. Uh, so, <laughs> for Ian Ferguson, good day. I'm Pat Contry. We'll see you in two weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. Morgan Fairchild.